Blog Talk Radio. What's up, what's up? It's Rich. It's My Take Radio, episode 16 for Thursday, September 22nd. Nope, October 22nd, sorry, 2009. Uh, the intro music you just heard was Castlemania. The artist is Am I Evil, A-M-I-E-V-I-L. If you want to download that track or numerous other video game remixes, you can go to ocremix.org. Uh, if you want to call into tonight's show, the telephone number is 347-324-3541. Again, that number, 347-324-3541. Let's get into the rundown of some of tonight's topics. Uh, we're going to talk about last night's Ultimate Fighter, a little bit about UFC 104, uh, the possibility of Chuck Liddell fighting Kimbo Slice, UFC versus Strike Force News, the resignation of Shane McMahon from WWE, uh, lack of dedicated servers for Call of Duty, some MPD numbers. I got a movie, a movie review of Drag Me to Hell and a review of the Transformers Revenge of the Fallen Blu-ray, big screen edition. So with that, let's get into this week's uh, MMA news. First off, uh, Chuck Liddell, like I said in the rundown, was recently on the Sure Dog Savage Dog Show, and he was, uh, they were, he was being asked about the possibility of him returning to fight. He said that he's been training and he's going to just take a little time and sit it out and, and train and see what his body tells him before he jumps back in the ring. He was saying that he's not really interested in fighting Kimbo Slice, but he said he would do it if it was the, the fight that was offered to him in order for him to come back to the UFC. Uh, he feels that his time off with Dancing with the Stars allowed him to focus, and it also helped him work on a different type of conditioning. Um, he will make his decision to fight when he goes into the gym, which is what he's always said. He's had, he has said that he will make his decision in the gym and not at a negotiation table. Um, I got to give Chuck a lot of credit. You know, the Dancing with the Stars thing, I gave a lot of shit. I, I kind of gave him some shit about it, not personally because I don't know him, but in general just because, you know, my opinion of that show isn't the highest because it's reality show drivel. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, a lot of hard work goes into that. There's a lot of sweating, a lot of preparation, a lot of choreography, and a lot of practice. So, you know, i got to give him credit for focusing his attention to something new and also for making a good decision, I think, in making his career plans in the gym as opposed to, you know, at a negotiation table or as per Dana White. I think that he benefits just by going in there, you know, 
getting some sparring in, a little grappling, a little groundwork, and he can establish himself and see if he's ready to come back. I think that him fighting Kimbo Slice would be a great fight. Uh, both guys have great stand-up power. Um, Kimbo's ground game, of course, is non-existent, but since the Ultimate Fighter has ended, who knows what type of Kimbo Slice you would see if he fought Chuck Liddell. And considering that Chuck Liddell actually talked some shit about Kimbo Slice initially, you know, calling him, you know, toughest guy at the barbecue, you know, following along with a lot of Dana White's verbal jabs, I think that it would be a good, a good opportunity for Liddell to, you know, prove Kimbo Slice wrong or for Kimbo Slice to take out a legend. So either way, personally, that's a fight I'd like to see. Um, yesterday, of course, was the ultimate fighter. And before I get into it fully, I definitely want to say that this season, there's, a, there's way too many, there's too much sidetracking going on. There's a lot of joking, and it doesn't feel like, if you, you know what it feels like? It feels like a really violent version of the real world. Because there's a lot of, you know, back talking, there's a lot of shit talking, a lot of jokes, a lot of shit. I mean, don't get me wrong, that adds drama to the show, and I'm all for it. But for some reason, this season seems to be just overcompensating in terms of fights with just a lot of verbal sparring between Rashad and Rampage, which, you know, it adds drama to the show. But keep in mind that when Tito was coaching against Ken Shamrock, the fights lived up to the hype, as did the shit talking between both of those guys. You know, there has to be a little bit of animosity in order for the show to be successful. It, it, it's a shitty thing for me to say, but they have to have some type of a pre-existing beef. It makes for good television, and it allows for good stylistic fights, especially when the teams are loyal to their coaches. In, in looking back at Tito and Ken Shamrock, Tito's team was loyal to the bitter end. You know, they were soldiers. They were guys that would go in there and they'd fight for, for their general. Ken Shamrock's guys, Ken never showed up. He wasn't really pushing them like he should. He didn't train them like he should. So I can see where that failed. And it's repeating itself now with the Ultimate Fighter just because Rashad comes out of a camp. He comes out of Greg Jackson's camp, really good camp. And on the same token, he has been on the Ultimate Fighter. He knows how to play the camera. He knows how to work. Just all the different angles, how, what to say to look positive, what to say to look negative. Not to say that he's acting and there aren't some genuine feelings there, but a lot of times I look at Rashad and I just think that he's full of shit in half of the things he says. And Rampage, he's a... Uh, I don't, I don't want to shit on him, I really don't, but he's not a coach. And I understand that he said that, you know, he said it before, I'm not a coach, I'm a fighter. But the whole reason why you're on there is to coach. It's to impart some wisdom. If, you're, if your version of imparting wisdom is, look at his titties. Rashad Bredstein, look at his titties. Oh, you a crybaby. Oh, I like Kimbo Slice's beard. It's like you're not imparting shit. It's unfortunate that this season, which I thought was going to be really good, considering the animosity between Evans and Rampage is, you know, tit jokes and, you know, one-liners from Rampage. I, I just feel that as a fighter, he's great. As a coach, he's lousy. But 
on top of being lousy, he's not showing that camaraderie of, you know, sticking with his guys when they lose after a fight or reassuring them that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get back in it. It's just like, oh, my fucking guy lost. These guys are too green. Look, all these guys came into the Ultimate Fighter knowing some semblance of MMA, whether it's all MMA, one side, whether it's the ground aspect, the standing aspect, good stand-up, good submissions. These guys all had some type of a base. Your job as a coach is to add extra tools to that base, make that base solid, and then add extra skill sets. Not too much because Rashad made something very clear. He said, I don't want to change them too much, but I want to help them tighten up their games in certain areas and help them move forward. Which leads me to this week. This week, we had um, the focus was on Zach Jensen and Daryl Schoonover, and it seems that they spent more time focusing on, on Schoonover and Rampage than on the fight itself. At the end of the day, Daryl Schoonover came and took Zach Jensen out in round one with a uh, submission. And once again, they thought that by going, you know, the junior high school route with the jokes and funny pictures and all that shit that, that they were going to move ahead in terms of the mental game of the fight. It, it, it ended up Rampage's guy, like every other guy that Rampage has coached, getting put to sleep or knocked out or something. I think that, and this is my personal opinion, I'm not a fucking coach, I'm not a professional fighter, I'm not... I'm, I'm nothing but a guy on a microphone giving my opinion on something I enjoy. But the fact is that Rampage needs to go and stop trying to be the funny guy and start being a fucking coach because it's going to be really fucked up if none of these guys make it to the final and Rashad's guys just steamroll their way in. It's just going to show that on top of Rampage leaving the UFC, he wasn't a good coach to begin with. So... As of right now, I'm enjoying the show, but I'm not enjoying the, the, the high amount of, of wordplay, so to speak, on the season. You know, there's way too, much, way, way too much shit talking, which is good, but not enough, I don't know, not enough, uh, there's not enough depth to the show. It's all, you know, jokes and, you know, oh, yeah, we'll throw a fight in there just to let you know that this is the ultimate fighter. I'm not, you know, I'm not too... I'm not sold on this season for some reason. I mean, Kimbo is fantastic. You know, he, he brings viewers, he brings attention. But if you take Kimbo out of the equation, you'd really look at it as a, just a regular, decent season. I think that the focus on Kimbo and one of the guys looked like he was going to be injured and Kimbo was going to get put back into play was huge. That was the lead up from last week that they were like, oh, Kimbo might come in this week and fight. But you can only spoon-feed people so much before they, they look past Kimbo and go, wow, this season is bullshit. So we'll see what happens. I mean, there's, a couple more, there's one more preliminary fight, and then, you know, I really want to see Marcus from Team Rampage fight because he looks like he's a fucking psychopath. And, um, you know, it's a guy that he talks about his love for flowers and his love for gardening, and he's just this huge monster of a dude. And... He's going to go in there and say, oh, I love flowers, but I want to fight. He's just, he just looks like he's a fucking serial killer, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens next week. I'm not, I'm not going to beat up the show too much because 
obviously everybody else is doing the same thing I am, so let me not jump on that bandwagon. Uh, let me move down a little bit. Um, November 7th, Fedor is fighting Brett Rogers on CBS. It's going to be the first uh, Strike Force televised MMA event on Channel 2 in a long time, ever since the Elite XC debacle. And one of the things I've always enjoyed that boxing does is the 360 specials. I mean, not the 360, the 24-7 specials that they do on upcoming fights. And it, it seems that Showtime and Strike Force have decided to do the same thing. It was announced um, in a press conference today that they would be doing a special Fight Camp 360, Fedor versus Rogers. And, you know, of course, it's going to feature, you know, unrestricted access um, to on Fedor. And, of course, they're going to show the preparation that both fighters go into for their upcoming fight on November 7th. You can actually watch those specials Tuesday, November 3rd at 9.30 on Showtime. They're going to repeat it at 10 o'clock on Show 2. And they're just going to keep playing those th uh, special episodes all the way up until November 7th. I, I honestly want to see it because Fedor is considered to be, you know, an enigmatic fighter, a guy who not too many people see on, on, a, on a consistent basis training and stuff. He's not secretive, but, you know, the guy trains in like a fucking dungeon. I think he fights bears and shit. Who knows? But it, it, it would definitely give some insight to a guy that's considered the best pound-for-pound -pound heavyweight in the world. And Brett Rogers, I definitely want to see what he's capable of just because, you know, he put Arlovsky down, and he's had really good dominant performances. And we're going to find out if he can crack the puzzle that is Fedor. It's one of those things where you'd think a guy has a shot of going in there and beating him, and Fedor just fucking puts him to sleep. And I, I think Brett Rogers has a really good chance of, of being the upset guy to the point where Dana White was doing a pre-fight uh, press conference. And first off, he, you know, they asked him about it, and he said that Fedor should be fighting in the UFC. You know, he made sure to acknowledge that. But he did say that he would want to sign Brett Rogers if he did upset Fedor. And he also feels that, you know, Strike Force wants to compete. We're going to compete with them, and they're going to actually be airing some counter-programming on November 7th with a couple of title fights. They're going to have um, – who the fuck is on there? Shit. I had the list. Fuck it. I'll, I'll, have, the, I'll have the list before uh, November 7th so you guys know the fights. Nonetheless, Dana White also took the time to acknowledge the, the whole Dan Henderson thing that has been happening as I mentioned in previous broadcasts, Dan Henderson's contract was up, and he wanted to be re-signed, and Dana White actually made a, a, a good offer, he said, that was, you know, manageable, that Strikeforce probably couldn't meet, but it seems that, you know, Dan Henderson wants to be one of the highest paid guys in the UFC, and I like Dan Henderson, he's a great fighter, but it's not like he gets in there and sets the world on fire when he fights. Don't get me wrong. His knockout of Bisping was was epic. It was highlight reel worthy. But, I mean, his fights, I'm not going to say they're boring because no MMA fight is boring no matter what people say, but there's not that, that big fight feel when he gets in there. I mean, him and Bisping was good because they were coaches on the Ultimate Fighter. There was the slow burn setup. But overall, he's just... I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't have that vibe of, holy shit, I want to see this guy beat somebody's ass. No idea whatsoever. Um, Dana also took the time during the pre-fight press conference to uh, shit on Roy Nelson.
for some reason. I guess he's not really a fan of Roy Nelson at all, but he said that Roy Nelson, like everybody else, is going to have their chance in the UFC to prove that they're a fighter. Now, I can understand Dana's frustration with Roy Nelson just because of, once again, and I'm going to use the selective editing of the Ultimate Fighter show, but looking at Roy Nelson, he looks like he's a dick, uh, number one. Number two, he prides himself on just being this fat tub of shit but being a diamond in the rough and a great fighter. His fight with Kimbo Slice, while it was good, I don't think he proved anything. He just proved that he can suffocate you with his stomach. He could just as easily play the fucking blob in X-Men if that's what he wants to do. I think that being a heavyweight and being at the, at, at the top level in the UFC, you can't afford to walk in there looking like a sack of shit. And that's one thing that, like I said, the guy has loads of talent, oozes charisma, talks a good talk, knows how to be, you know, he knows all the complete aspects of the fight game, but he doesn't seem to take his appearance seriously. And it's like, do you really want that tub of shit to, you know, the fucking, who did they say he was? Rufus from Street Fighter, if I remember somebody said, made that comparison. Do you want Rufus from Street Fighter as your heavyweight champion looking like that? Not really. I mean, of course, his ability will always be solid, and if he gets to the level of champion, he'll be able to say, look, man, I look like shit, but I can fuck you up. But until then, dude, clean yourself up. Lose a little bit of weight. Don't come in there lo- looking like you should be fucking picked, out of your bed with a, picked up out of your bed with a forklift. That's all I got to say. I mean, I can understand Dana's disdain, but overall, I think that, you know, the overall presentation of a guy like Nelson is – his talent, and he uses that to speak for him as opposed to the way he looks. I just hope that one of the things that he does is just, you know, shut Dana up, because I like that Dana sometimes talks shit to these guys because it motivates them to do better. A guy like Kimbo Slice, he said, and I remember it correctly, he was like, Kimbo Slice is a good guy, but if he wants to prove himself, he has to fight at the elite level. And of course, the elite level, to most people, is the UFC, and Kimbo did it. Same thing with Roy Nelson. You were the IFL champion. You were the heavyweight champion for a team-based MMA organization. MMA is not a team sport. So you know what? Prove yourself. Show that on top of being a barrel of shit, you can put people to sleep, and then we'll start taking you seriously. I personally am not going to take him seriously when he walks into the fucking cage rubbing his belly like he's going to eat a sandwich. It's, it's disgusting. It just shows that you have no respect for your opponent to go in there looking so shitty. Honestly, if I, if I had to fight and I went and I woke up one morning and looked like that, I, I'd, I'd call the promoter and be like, look, I'm not going to fight because I look like shit. And I'd send them a photo of my ginormous gut to prove a point. So I'm going to leave poor Roy Nelson alone until I see him fight on the Ultimate Fighter season finale. That, I think, is going to wrap up some of the MMA stuff for this week. Let's get into some wrestling news. The big news, of course, this week was Shane McMahon resigning, uh, putting in his resignation for WWE January 1st, 2010. Now, a lot of people are saying that it's a power play and that Stephanie McMahon and Triple H are going to run the organization. Some people are saying he's going to go and work with Linda McMahon on her Senate run, which... Like I said a few weeks ago when I said that she was running for Senate, her opponents are giving her shit for, given, you know, her punching Vince in the balls, getting tombstone by Kane. All that shit is coming up now. 
Like, are we supposed to take you seriously, lady, when you are one of the main orchestrators of a fictional sport? So I'm more than sure that that's going to come up. But there's a lot of, I would say there's a lot of intrigue and a lot of questions as to why Shane McMahon resigned. I, I have a few, I can, you know, say just me personally, a few reasons why I think he did it. Number one, too, too many hands in the pot. You know, you had his old man, Linda, Stephanie, Triple H, and him, all trying to control this, you know, motley crew of egos and steroids. And unfortunately, I think that he realized that for him, his place might be doing something else. Who knows? He might start his own organization. He's actually a big fan of MMA. Who knows? He may buy into an MMA organization. The kid's got money. Or he may just work with his mom. But I think that what separates him from Stephanie McMahon and from Vince is the fact that he, he, he likes to be hands-on and he has a very good awareness of the World Wide Web and just pushing a product forward. I think that the way it works is Vince is all about storyline. Uh, Stephanie McMahon is all about backstage skits. Shane McMahon's all about worldwide presence. That's the way it breaks down. Linda McMahon is just the face of the company. Vince is the guy that wants all the extreme shit. He wants to walk in, and I'm more than sure he walks in, and he's just like, you're fired. He just starts firing people with his you know, crazy old man wrestling voice. And I think that Shane McMahon is like, look, man, I'm fucking a grown-ass man with my own with my own fucking kids. I can't be getting hit with steel chairs forever. This shit sucks. So maybe he needs to just take a time out. That's not to say that he won't come back. Who knows? If Vince McMahon fucking keels over one day, he may just come in and, and fool everybody and run the company. But I think at the end of the day, if Vince McMahon were to pass away, Stephanie and Triple H would run the business. And whatever, Shane might be involved in some capacity, but I don't think it's going to be something that he's going to be doing after, you know, his dad passes on. So, you know, I wish him the best of luck. I think that he always tried to deliver every time he wrestled in the ring. I mean, you know, the guy threw punches that looked like he was fucking punching loaves of bread because you can see that they weren't connecting a mile away. But in terms of, like, crazy shit, you're talking about the guy who's the son of a CEO, the son of, 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 the, of, of the owner of the company getting suplexed through plate glass windows by Kurt Angle. Same guy who, you know, jumped off the Titan Tron. Same guy who jumps from one ring post to the other to drop kick a trash can into his father's face. You know, the, the, the guy, zero probably wrestling training other than the basics, but he'd go in there and he'd do his best, and that's pretty cool, you know, as a player coach that he was. You know, he, he really was a, a, a perfect example of player coach. He'd go in there and work the angles, and, you know, he'd work behind the scenes. He did... He helped WWE.com become very successful. It's now being run by uh, former ECW announcer Joey Styles. I think that the web, if you market a certain thing right, it'll work well. And I think WWE has gotten a good grasp of the Internet. And I have to give all credit to Shane McMahon because he, uh, he knew what people wanted to look at on the web. So once again, I wish him the best of luck. Uh, this week's Raw host was Snoop Dogg. And initially when I turned it on, I expected it to be a lot of shizzle, izzle, and dizzle, but it really wasn't. On the contrary, it was very limited Snoop Dogg, but just enough to 
make him relevant to the show. But what they did correctly this week, which whoever was doing it, keep doing what you're doing, was the fact that they did, you know, they moved storylines ahead, um, primarily with the bragging rights pay-per-view coming up. You know, they started teasing some dissension with uh, Ted DiBiase and Randy Orton, which I knew was happening because that guy's doing the sequel to The Marine. Don't worry, it's not going to be in the theater. It'll be straight to DVD. And they're, they're going to obviously turn him face so that people cheer him because the DVD's coming out. And, you know, if you want kids to buy your DVD, you can't be a bad guy. So, I, I, you know, they teased a lot of dissension, which is good. They moved a lot of storylines forward. And Snoop Dogg's involvement, like I said, was you know, limited, and it added to the show. You know, there was humor where there needed to be. There was funny sight gags where there needed to be. So this week's Raw actually was very good. I also want to give props to TNA for uh, their pay-per-view, Bound for Glory, which happened on Sunday. Just a fantastic pay-per-view, top to bottom. The Ultimate X match, ridiculous. Um, The tag team ladder match was awesome. Matt Morgan versus Kurt Angle, great match. And AJ Styles and Sting for the heavyweight title was an awesome match, which many are saying is going to be Sting's last match uh, with TNA. I think he's finally going to retire. And not for nothing, he should, because that fucking hairline he has, those hair plugs, that fucking Ken doll hair that he has, that shit's not fucking working. I don't give a fuck how much face paint you put on your face. You're not going to cover up the fact that I can see your hairline through the fucking strands of your hair. So I think that Sting really just needs to chill and fucking retire. Unless he's going to go to WWE and, you know, do one or two matches and go into the Hall of Fame, chill out with the fucking makeup and the, uh, and, and the hairline and the fucking plugs. Please, Sting, I beg you. No more hair plugs and stop with the makeup because you just look like an old man pretending to be a, a guy from Kiss. So that's my little rant on, on him. In terms of hosts for next week's Raw, it's going to be NASCAR drivers Kyle Busch and Joey Logano, I think I will be DVRing that and not even attempting to watch it live. Not because of the host, just because I don't give a fuck about NASCAR. I really don't. Driving in a fucking circle, you know, be, oh, yeah, that's a fucking sport, man. No, no, motherfucker. That's a dude driving around in a donut for three hours, 500 times. Not a sport. Baseball, sport. Basketball sport, hockey sport, tennis sport, golf to some extent, sport. There's no, you don't go on a treadmill to get ready for a fucking race unless you're running. Fuck it. Not, not giving a fuck about these NASCAR guys. No offense to anybody who likes NASCAR. I'm sorry. You know, you guys, that's your thing, especially down south. But me, not big on the fucking driving in circles. And the reason they're probably hosting is because I heard that WWE is going to be sponsoring probably one of their cars or the whole team's cars for this quote-unquote season of NASCAR racing. So we'll see what happens. Supposedly, the following week, they're going to go with David Arquette as a host of Raw. Once again, I will watch that on Fast Forward because it's probably going to be fart jokes and, you know, ready-to-rumble sight gags and just shit. It's like, go back to doing movies with a fucking monkey, because nobody gives a fuck about you. You know, put your cougar-ass wife on TV and shut your face, or do another Scream movie, because that's all you're good for. Want to wish a speedy recovery to Jim Ross, Jim Ross uh, announcer of SmackDown, legendary announcer from Raw, Hall of Famer. 
suffered a third Bell's palsy attack recently. Um, if you don't know what Bell's palsy is and you watch wrestling and you wonder why one half of Jim Ross's face does not move, that, my friends, is Bell's palsy. You know, if you wonder why when he talks, he sounds like, so bitch, so bitch, don't call, don't call. Bell's palsy talking, 100%. So, uh, Jim Ross, wish you the best of luck. He is not going to be announcing SmackDown this week or the Bragging Rights pay-per-view. So, get better, JR. You know, it sucks, that Bell's palsy shit, because it's like paralyzing your body slowly. So, hopefully he'll be able to resume announcing duties next week, but we'll see what happens. He's been updating his blog, saying, you know, he's been taking medication and stuff, but that the doctor advised him to stay home this week. So, good luck, JR. Hopefully you'll get better. And um, last bit of wrestling news, um, Booker T, who, of course, was in WWE, WCW, um, stopped in TNA recently and has been a member of the main event mafia for the last few months. It seems that he has fucking worn out his welcome, and they are saying that he's not going to be doing any more appearances uh, following the Bound for Glory pay-per-view. He actually got stretchered out, so I'm assuming that that's the angle they're going to use, and he's supposedly just going to take some time off and worry about running his organization, and I'm more than sure he'll end up in the WWE just because he had a really good following. His gimmick was solid, but you know what it is? This is now the swan song for a lot of these old guys. You know, I said it about Sting, Booker T. I think TNA wants to get rid of Scott Steiner. The only guy who has any redeeming value is Kurt Angle, just because I wouldn't classify him as an old-timer, and Kevin Nash, just because he's such a great douchebaggy character that he doesn't even have to wrestle anymore. He could be a mouthpiece for somebody. He could be, you know, the bodyguard for somebody, you know. He doesn't have to really go out there and wrestle. The guy has great shit talking skills it's not even promo skills or mic skills he's just great shit talking skills it's it's something that definitely i want to look forward to especially in the coming months i mean booker t he was there most of his promos consisted of him trying to be more ghetto than he usually is like yeah you dig and yo and you son and we it's like all right we get it you're black you got braids you look like whoopi goldberg we get it thanks nobody gives a fuck about you, Booker T, and Charmel. If you want to not wrestle for TNA anymore, then get the fuck off my screen. That's going to close out this week's wrestling news because, obviously, I'm a little annoyed with Booker T right now, so the hell with wrestling. Let's get into uh, game news this week. Before I even get into the game news, I want to actually kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about the trip to the Big Apple Comic Con that I did this weekend uh, this past weekend with my girlfriend and uh, Slick from the forums as well as fellow MTR correspondent. We ended up having a great time. I actually got to test a very awesome game called Darksiders for the Xbox 360 and PS3. Um, it's about a guy who is one of the four horsemen of apocalypse, takes place in the post-apocalyptic future after the Earth was pretty much trashed, and he's on a path to quote-unquote redeem himself by fighting all these minions. I have to say that the artwork uh, is done by Joe Madera, who did Battle Chasers. He's done some work with X-Men. Overall, just the artwork alone grabbed my attention just because I'm a huge fan, and the artwork translated very well into the game. Uh, The gameplay was very similar to games like Brutal Legend, God of War, 
You had a lot of primary attacks. You had a big-ass sword, cool armor, loads of demons, graphic bloodshed, definitely really cool stages. Darksiders comes out uh, January, I think, 5th, 2010. Awesome game. I'm actually working on trying to see if I can get a couple of guys from the development team on the show. I want to talk to Joe Madera, so hopefully we can move that forward and get these guys on the show because the game shows tons of promise, uh, great, like I said, great art style. If you want to check out any of the pictures, you can go to the uh, Facebook fan page, and I put up some pictures of that. I also got the opportunity to play Super Mario for the Wii, which was really great uh, team-based Super Mario Brothers gameplay. Initially, I was not a fan of the concept, but uh, me, Slick, and my girlfriend took the opportunity to play it, and it was really, really cool. They had a lot of cool costumes. They actually made it a point to focus on teamwork. There are certain stages where, you know, you can toss one of your characters up, and the other character would help a, a second or third player hop up to another platform. They had a really weird penguin Mario costume for an ice stage that we played where, you know, Mario can throw ice balls to freeze bad guys as well as slide around on his stomach like a penguin. That was pretty cool. Graphically, the game looked really nice. It moved really well. The team-based aspect, like I said, was fantastic. I got to play a little bit of Super Punch-Out, which, you know, has been out for a long time, so I'm not going to get into any fucking details about, and also Wii Sports Resort. But the fact of the matter is that uh, the, um, the Darksiders game definitely piqued my interest. I'm going to actually scan some cover art also onto the My Take Radio site, and Slick took some video which I need to watermark, and I need to just find out if I'll get in trouble for posting so that you guys can see some of the gameplay. But definitely you can go and check out more stuff for the game on Darksiders.com and just check out MyTakeRadio.com over the coming weeks. Hopefully I'll be able to get these guys on and give you guys the scoop on this really cool game. Uh, now on to the real game news. Um, the most recent blog from Major Nelson stated that the Xbox 360 system update that's going to be coming out is going to render unauthorized memory cards useless. It's going to actually end up um, not allowing most, I, they're saying 90% of third-party memory cards to not work with the 360, so any saved content that you have on those third-party cards are not going to be accessible, so you better find another solution to get your saves off. Um, I, I gotta say that there's a part of me that is annoyed at that concept just because who's Microsoft to say that you can't use a third-party accessory because they want to monopolize their accessory market. It disturbs me because you have, you know, not everybody fucking has money to go out there and buy first-party stuff. Sometimes first-party stuff is expensive. You gotta take into account if a, if a controller is 50, 60 bucks, and you're a parent. And it's a great example. Third-party accessories are always bought by parents. It's usually parents or people that just don't want to buy a secondary or third controller for, you know, guests. But overall, it's, it's parents and stuff, and they're, just, they don't, they're not looking at the names and stuff. They're like, oh, my kid needs an Xbox controller. Well, let me buy this Mad Cats controller. Let me buy this or that. You know, the memory thing 
is very crucial, especially in, in a day when people, you know, they want to take their saves over to their friends' houses and, you know, they want to swap characters or created stages. Or, and, and you can't do that. Why? Because Microsoft all of a sudden got a hard-on for third-party developers of memory cards. It's like, come on, man. It, it's all about fair play. At the end of the day, the main purchase was already done, which is an Xbox 360. So who gives a shit? I mean, if it was a question that they released the firmware update to combat, say, memory cards fucking up the Xbox 360, okay, I can understand it to a point. But they're just releasing a firmware update and not allowing these cards to work just because they feel like it. And to, and to me, that's that's kind of a fucked up thing to do because, like I said, you're eliminating, you're making people in these troubled times spend more money. You know, you may agree or disagree. Um, either way, I personally am really split on the whole thing. I think that while Microsoft is protect, protecting its best interest, best interest, sorry, as a consumer, I am entitled to freedom of choice. And if I want to use a third-party controller, a third-party memory card, a fucking third-party power adapter, I should be able to do that because I paid for my system. It's mine. It's not, you know, it's not something that Microsoft should have any control over. But unfortunately, they are going to pull the trigger on that if they haven't already. So who knows? We'll see what happens. If, if you want to discuss that or any of the other topics I have discussed, you can call in 347-324-3541. That number, once again, 347-324-3541 if you want to cover any of the stuff we've discussed thus far. Um, I got an email earlier this week about uh and th and it's crazy that um me I'm not a PC gamer so I don't really stay on this stuff but definitely got to give a shout out to Vince for this as well as a couple of other people that have brought this to my attention and it seems that Infinity Ward is not going to allow um so, you know the servers to be proprietary servers to be used for the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare on the contrary, they're going, to be out, they're going to be introducing a matchmaking service called IWN or IWNet. The system is designed to match players up against other players of their own ranking, but supposedly there's a petition that went out that had over 100,000 signatures because people want to be able to play on whatever servers they choose. Um, Robert Bowling from Infinity Ward stated, you're completely reliant on IWNet and there's no dedicated server or server list. So you rely on IWNet for your matchmaking on your games. But you must also have the private, you can also have the private match much like other platforms where you can go in and customize. And you know, turn off air support, turn off this, turn off that, customize the game rules via private match and invite people to the server that way. With the whole, comple with the whole completely reliant part being the sticking point. I think that one of the problems with something like that is that People have certain servers that they like to go and play on and, you know, they meet there with their friends and shit. And the fact that you're removing that just to introduce another service, while I'm not a big fan of PC gaming, I can understand that the dedicated servers are, you know, they're, they're crucial to PC gaming. I'm not a PC gamer and I'm not going to say that I am, but one of the things that I do know is that dedicated servers for games like World of Warcraft um, StarCraft, games like that are very, the, the, those servers are crucial. They allow, you know, more experienced players to link up with other experienced players to do campaigns, 
to do certain missions. And I can understand where they want to go with the matchmaking capabilities because there are times, and I've heard this a lot with PC gaming, where people mod shit to the point where, you know, people are are just overpowering uh, fellow gamers. And, and I can understand that they want to do some sort of fair play, but just removing the complete concept of servers is a little bit messed up. But we'll see how it plays out right now, Game Industry net game industry actually reported that the petition has garnered over a hundred thousand signatures um, Robert bowling put out a blog and said the biggest investment infinity ward has ever made into the PC version of modern warfare is this IW net it will be the most feature-rich PC version ever although the franchise began as a PC exclusive in recent years the focus has moved towards home console versions IWNet takes the benefits of dedicated servers and allows them to be utilized and accessed by every player out of the box while removing the barrier of entry for players unaware of how to maintain a server on their own. See, one of the things is that, you know, the dedicated servers will always be something that are, that are a standout for PC gaming. One of the things I don't like about PC gaming is that also it, 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 I don't like the fact that people can just mod the fuck out of a game and then you go in there to play it and they'll kill you in three seconds. Uh, I'm all about fair play. I'd rather, um, if I'm a good gamer, I want it to show that way versus me just getting murdered as soon as I log in. It's, it's, weird. it's weird for me to even cover it just because, like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with PC gaming, but if there's any callers out there that, can, that care to enlighten the listening audience as well as me, Regarding the dedicated servers, I'm more than uh, glad to take your call. But nonetheless, I think that Infinity Ward just wants to try and, and level the playing field. I, I hear that a lot, like I said before, about the constant, you know, the constant cheating and you know, the leveling and just the, a lot of the bullshit that really makes PC gaming not appealing to me. I really don't like the fact that you can get away with so much and really not have an even playing field. So who knows? This may be a blessing in disguise, but who am I to fucking say anything? I don't fucking play the PC, so I can be full of shit too. Nonetheless, we'll see where it goes once Call of Duty comes out next month. Uh, NPD numbers. A few weeks ago we were talking about, well, last week and the week prior, we were talking about the NPD numbers and the fact that PS3 may come in and be at the top of the charts this week. And as it turns out, Everybody was 100% right. The PS3 reigned supreme for the month of September. They sold 491,800 units, which, of course, is definitely going to be attributed to the price cut, as well as the fact that games like Uncharted are coming out, as well as niche titles like Demon Souls. You've got Tekken 6 coming out next week, DJ Hero. Definitely moving, even though some of those are definitely multi-platform games, they are especially the Tekken series, synonymous with PlayStation. So even though Tekken 6 is going to come out on the 360, a lot of people are very familiar with it on the PS3, so I can definitely see that moving some numbers. Um, I'm not surprised at all. Like I said, people are always, always shitting on the, on the fact that, you know, these price cuts, they're just momentary bursts of sales. But you've got to take into account now that the, that the playing field is, is more level. I mean, the cheapest system for all intents and purposes is still the Wii. I mean, you, you, can, you can come in and nickel and dime with the DS. You can go that route. But 
the Wii is, for all intents and purposes, the more value-based system. Now, in terms of getting the most bang for your buck, you can go the PS3 route in terms of if you want to have Blu-ray capabilities as well as gameplay. I think that in terms of a more dominant online component, you're always going to want to go with the 360. I mean, PlayStation Home is nice and it's pretty and I can have my own virtual apartment, but that's not what's selling the system. I think the overall experience is a factor. So I personally think that gaming is going to be broken up into three tiers. You're going to have casual gaming, family-based gaming that's going to be more focused on purchasing Wii titles. You're going to have uh, home theater enthusiasts and uh, PlayStation loyalists or, or fanboys, if you want to use that term, definitely helping push the PS3 forward. If you want good online gameplay, you're always going to want to go with the 360 because I think that in terms of uh, standout titles that are coming out, they are few and far between. I mean, Uncharted and Demon Souls definitely gave the PS3 some leverage, but look at Tekken 6, a game that was always a Sony game. Boom, where's it popping up? Right on the 360. You can say the same thing about the Virtual Fighter franchise. I think that the playing field is just starting to, to really thin itself out, and it's going to be one of those things where only marquee titles are going to move consoles forward. In rolling through the rest of the MPD news, um, PS3, like I said, was 491.8. The Wii came in at number two with 462,800 462, units, which is, is very, very, very good numbers. You know, you got a, a lot of titles coming in this week that are, you know, especially with the inclusion of the uh, Wii Sports Resort, which if you haven't bought it and are planning on picking it up, I would advise you pick it up this week because you can get it uh, for $49.99 from Amazon, and you get two uh, Wii Motion uh, accessories for the controller. So you'll be able to pick that up for $49 off of Amazon. If you're going to be buying that in the store, it's going to run you $60. Bucks, but it's still a savings of $10 bucks because those Wii Motion add-ons are $20 bucks a piece, and the game is $50 bucks and comes with one. So if you need a second one, you'd end up saving $10 bucks by just buying this new bundle. So I definitely want to attribute Wii Sports Resort to helping the Wii move up the rankings, as well as the fact that Wii Fit Plus came out, and if you own the balance board, you can get Wii Fit Plus for 20 bucks, which was definitely a fantastic, uh, uh, definitely a fantastic buy because Wii Fit Plus, in and of itself, is definitely a great standalone game, and for 20 bucks, you can't go wrong. Uh, Xbox 360 came in at 352,600. And hanging on still, the PlayStation 2 sold 146,000 units, which it's, it's a testament to the longevity of the, of the PlayStation 2 and the fact that, you know, there's still such a hardcore loyal fan base. These are consoles that are still being bought. That means that 146,000 people bought a PlayStation 2 in the month of September. It's, it's fucking insane. Like, Who's still out there buying these shits? I really want to know. Not, not because the PS2 is inferior in any way, but I just, I'm just curious. Like, I really would like to walk into a store. I may have to do that, just do a little man on the street and go into a, a GameStop or maybe a Toys R Us or an EB and just be like, hey, man, how many people do you get in here on a regular basis buying a PS2? I'm really curious because that's a big fucking number. You know, that's almost 
that, that that's almost half, well, that's less than half of the Xbox 360's numbers, which means that if the PS2 didn't exist, that 146,000 sales can be divvied up between those three systems. It's, it's insane. I really would like to know who's buying these, these units and, and where they're coming in from. You know, is it, is it being bought by foreign countries and being imported? Like, what the fuck is going on, man? Because that number's huge. But, I mean, at the end of the day, we knew PS3 was going to be the, the, the winner this month. I definitely see next month being an Xbox 360 month with Modern Warfare coming out. I mean, it is coming out on all systems, but for some reason, I see the Xbox 360 taking the top spot next month. So we'll see what happens. In terms of handheld systems, the breakdown was the DS and the DSi combined together sold 524,000 copies. I'm well, 524,000 units. Sorry, and the PSP and PSP Go combined for 190,000 copies. Not even fucking close. The PSP is just not coming anywhere near the DS's numbers. While the PSP Go did capture some market share, you can see that Nintendo's just running away with, with the DS and the DSi. And in 2010, they're going to come out with a new Game Boy unit that's going to be using the, the NVIDIA Tegra processor, and I think that that's going to be the... I'd say that's going to turn the tide in, in the handheld wars totally in Nintendo's favor, even more so than now. It's going to be just a decisive win with extreme prejudice. So definitely want to see what Nintendo has in store for the new DS. In terms of software titles that were sold, Halo 3 ODST took the number one spot with one and a half million copies sold. Like I said, Wii Sports Resort came in number two with 442,900 copies. Madden or roster update 2010, as I like to call it, was number three with 289,000. Uh, Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story, which actually looks like a very interesting game, came in at 258,000. Beatles Rock Band, still up there. Uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance was number seven on the 360, 236,000 copies. Arkham Asylum on the PS3, uh, 212,000 copies, which I knew just because of the exclusivity of the, of the Joker levels and just certain little things and the presentation on the PS3 as a whole. We're going to move that title forward. Guitar Hero 5 on the 360, 210,000, and Beatles Rock Band on the Wii sold 208,000 copies. So I think that these numbers definitely affect the consoles that are being moved on a consistent basis. I definitely hope, I, I don't think Microsoft thought that ODST would make the numbers that it's making, but you still have a lot of Halo quote-unquote fanboys out there that cream in their jeans for any little semblance of Halo stuff that comes out. So I see ODST, you know, being the, uh, let's just say the, the main, kind of the salad before the main course of whatever Halo sequel it's going to be. You know, the, the ODST game, everybody gives it great reviews. I, I'm not really, you know, big on, not big on the Halo universe because I play the Halo games, but just, you know, I don't fucking, I don't blow a load every time a fucking Halo game comes out. Like, oh my god, a fucking Halo. I'm not going to be camped outside a fucking GameStop, worried about getting stabbed or fucking robbed for this, for this Halo shit. It's really not that serious, but, you know, it's, it's the, the, the fans of the franchise that are just helping it move forward. So, you know, props to Microsoft. Moving forward, 
Um, they're going to, of course, remake one of my favorite games from the Genesis, Rocket Knight. It's going to actually be coming out on Xbox Live Arcade and the PlayStation Store in 2010. They're going to be using enhanced graphics, and it's supposed to take place 15 years after the first Rocket Knight. I was a, a big fan of that game just because it wasn't your typical uh, side-scrolling adventure game. It, it had a, an air of um, a shooting game. It had a little bit of shooting game in there, uh, shooter genre, plus a little bit of Sonic. So definitely something I want to check out, especially if they're going to do enhanced HD graphics. I think when the games get redone in HD, it's one of those things that just adds a, a, a touch of not only just a touch of class to the overall presentation of the game, but it also adds some nostalgia. I think that, you know, if they remade in HD a game like Castlevania Symphony of the Night is a, is a great example. If they remade that game with new hand-drawn sprites, I think that that game would, would make Konami a fuckload of money, even though the game is, you know, more, more than five years old. I mean, yeah, you can play it on Virtual Console, and that's fine, or you can play it on... um not Virtual Console, on Xbox Live or the PlayStation Network. But I think that, you know, games like that deserve that HD touch, not just because it shows that people still care about the product, but it's just something that uh, fans will appreciate when they rebuy a title. I remember when Double Dragon got re-released on Xbox Live, I purchased it not just on the basis that I love playing Double Dragon, but just because it was very well done, very well animated. If you look at a Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo that was released, you know, the uh, Turbo HD remix, same thing. The game sold so much, not only because it's a game that everybody enjoyed playing, but definitely the enhanced visuals and the HD presentation helped move a lot of units. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to Rocket Knight for sure. Um, supposedly Xbox Live is going to be sending out the new updates for Live this week for those of you that signed up. Uh, if you went to, uh, what the hell was it, microsoftconnect.com slash Xbox Live Update and signed up, you would be able to test out the Facebook, Twitter, and Last.fm functionality that was recently added to Xbox Live. You'd also be able to test out something regarding Halo called Halo Flashpoint. I signed up for it a few days before my Xbox died. Um, I went on Twitter and message Major Nelson just to ask, like, hey, man, I got a new Xbox. Am I still going to be able to test this shit? He didn't fucking respond, so I'm really hoping I can test this shit out and, you know, give you guys a thorough review about, you know, yeah, the Facebook functionality, but I definitely want to see how Last.fm integrates into the Xbox Live experience, especially if it's something where you'll be able to use the Xbox Live um you know, the last FM feature on games that you're playing, kind of like a custom soundtrack thing. I definitely want to see if they integrate that into some of the upcoming games. We'll see how it goes. Um, one of the other games I'm looking forward to is Bayonetta, and that's supposed to come out in January 2010. It seemed to have come out in Japan uh, sometime next week, and a lot of the preliminary reviews are coming out, and Famitsu awarded Bayonetta a perfect score in their latest issue, uh, all four of the magazine's reviewers gave the Xbox 360 version a 10 out of 10. The PlayStation 3 version of the game only received two perfect scores, and two of the other reviewers gave it a 9, which isn't bad either. So I'd really like to see what, what definitely made the PS3 version get a 9 
and what made the Xbox 360 version get a perfect score. Because you have a game that's very similar to Devil May Cry. I mean, the presentation, I mean, if it, it, odds are, and I'm not, I'm not 100% certain that that'll be true, it may have been just based on visuals and how the game presented itself uh, from the systems. While the PlayStation 3 does make a lot of games look beautiful, you know, you can see games like Uncharted 2 that are perfect examples. There are times when I look at the Xbox 360 games and I kind of see a, an, an, a slight aura of more clearness to, to the characters or to the stages or to the sprites, but I could be wrong. It could be, you know, based on control. So if anybody puts out a uh, translated Famitsu review of the game, I'll see if I can post it up on mytakeradio.com. One of the, um, shit, what the fuck happened here? Oh, my screen went out. Ah, good old, good old Steve Ballmer. You know, um, before I get into what I want to talk about, Steve Ballmer is a fucking psychopath. Really is. He's a, uh, he of course is the Microsoft CEO. He's kind of taken charge of Microsoft ever since Bill Gates took a seat. And of course, Windows 7 came out today. I'm not going to go too crazy talking about it because if you're, live under a fucking rock, you'll know that Windows 7 dropped today. Nonetheless, uh, Steve Ballmer was out, you know, promoting Windows 7, and he was asked about Microsoft and, you know, the Xbox 360, and he kind of hinted that they might do an external Blu-ray drive for the 360. He, uh, he ended up saying, I don't know if we need a Blu-ray player in there, but you'll be able to get Blu-ray drives as accessories. Of course... Right after that, Major Nelson put it on his blog, and he even put it on Twitter that Steve was referring to Blu-ray accessories for the PC. As we've said in the past, we have no plans to introduce a Blu-ray drive to the Xbox 360. Now, here's one thing about fucking Steve Ballmer. You are not Steve Jobs, motherfucker. Every time you do something, every time you say something, somebody has to come out of the woodwork to clean up your fucking mess. Why do you take pride in being a fucking nut job? Every time I see him, he has that weird psychopathic smile on his face, and he just has that, that aura of not knowing what the fuck is going on. It just seems like he's a puppet, and Bill Gates pulls the strings, and that's, you know, he just goes out there and gives people a predetermined spiel. I don't like, of, I don't like the fact that he goes out there, he says what he's going to say, which I have a feeling is at least 50% true, but one of the things I don't like is the fact that he goes in there and whenever he backpedals after he says shit and then people got to clean it up. I don't like that. You're supposed to be the CEO of one of the most powerful fucking companies in the world. I think that if Bill Gates fucking flushed this toilet the wrong way, a nuclear bomb would go off somewhere because there's windows in everything. You're, you know, you're, it's like every time I see him, he always looks like a slob, number one. He always just looks confused, number two. Number three, when you're going to go out there and promote one product, focus on the shit you're promoting. If you got asked about the 360, you should have been like, you know, we're really trying to focus on Windows 7 right now, and, um, you know, we, we can discuss the 360, you know, later on or whatever, or contact my office. Oh, no. I'm going to fucking go and just answer everything without knowing what the fuck is going on. And then Major Nelson has to come out and be like, 
oh, you know, he kind of fucked up and he got misunderstood. You know, he fucking put out that he misspoke like a day or two after this fucking dummy said that the 360 was getting a Blu-ray. Not for nothing, that's not going to change the sales numbers, whether a Blu-ray drive is or isn't coming out for the 360, because frankly, nobody gives a shit. Now, if you said, oh, we're going to release an Xbox 360 and we're going to start putting 360 games on Blu-ray, now you can now you can definitely wag your dick around and, and jump around like a baby because that's pretty big, you know. Now you're really jumping into PlayStation's fucking backyard by saying, look, man, our system does everything your system does. What are you going to do about it? But, you know, oh, we're going to release an add-on. No one gives a fuck, dude. I honestly hope that, it, that they're not releasing an add-on. You want to know why? Because every time I look at the fucking HD DVD drive I bought for my 360 just collecting dust in the fucking corner, it makes me sick. If anybody wants to buy that shit from me, I will gladly sell it to you because it's not worth a goddamn thing. Anyway, that's my little rant on Steve Ballmer because he, he really just doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. It's like... Watch Steve Jobs, dude. Here's an idea. Find yourself the last four or five keynote addresses that Apple did. And pay attention to fucking Steve Jobs. Even though he's a little turtleneck fuck, he knows how to go out there and just, just hold all of us nerds in the palm of his hand. And he knows what the fuck he's talking about. This is a guy that fucking had, like, cancer and shit. And he goes out there and he's like, oh, yeah, look at our new iPods and look at our new fucking iPod with a camera and the iPod that wipes your ass for you and all this shit. Like Steve Jobs is a CEO. That motherfucker is a professional. He will come and buy your soul from you and then sell it back to you. That's what he does. Steve Ballmer comes out, fucking poor man's fucking Bill Gates. Oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this, and uh, no, we're really not going to do that. I, I uh, misspoke. Like, it's constant hand-holding. He's the fucking Dan Quayle of fucking the electronic industry. He really is. He's a fucking boob, so fuck him. Anyway, I can't. I can't do it because I've spent way too much time just yelling at him. Anyway, definitely uh, here's something that fucking blew my mind today. It seems that... They're reporting that GameStop is going to try and take a chunk of digital distribution by possibly making an offer to buy Steam. I have no fucking idea why they would do that. Everybody who I know that is a PC gamer loves Steam. Everything about it. They always are like, oh man, Steam is cool and blah, blah, blah. If GameStop puts their little grubby mitts on it, either that or Direct-to-Drive, which is owned by IGN, they're just going to fuck everything up. Because that's what GameStop does. They just fuck everything up. Oh, we're going to merge with EB Games, and we're going to fuck everything up. So GameStop buying Steam is just not cool. But they feel that they're going to be able to compete directly with consoles by going that route because they'll be able to provide a more... Uh, stable release cycle as well as a more stable delivery system for PC gamers. I honestly think that PC gamers would fucking riot if GameStop bought Steam. Steam is, is flawless from what I've seen. I've seen it run on a couple of people's computers, and I'm like, wow, that's actually pretty fucking flawless, and it looks pretty cool. But GameStop, ugh, keep your fucking hands in your pockets and don't touch anything.
It's it's ridiculous. It's but who knows? I think that it's a rumor right now, but I'm gonna try and get to the bottom of it and try and have some more stuff for you guys next week. Uh, last bit of news is about my favorite company, GameFly, which I enjoy greatly. They've released a Game Center app for the iPhone that's gonna allow you to edit your gaming queue on the fly. You'll also be able to see news and trophies and achievements for games. There's even a little bit of a rumor that's saying that you'll be able to see um, uh, instruction manuals and, you know, FAQs for the games. I think that this is definitely a, a good step for Gamefly just because a lot of, a lot of gamers are very technologically savvy. And I'm not going to say that a lot of us have iPhones. Most of us do. I mean, I have one, but I also have a BlackBerry. But that app would be awesome because you'll go, you'll, you'll look at the release schedule in GameStop, for instance. You'll go in your queue, punch up the games, and start adding them to your queue while you're out. It's definitely cool in the sense also that if they're running sales and you can see if the game is on sale on Gamefly. I got to be honest, Gamefly sells used games for really fucking cheap. I actually put in an order for Street Fighter 4. They give um, loyalty coupons. They give you five bucks off. So I'm getting, I'm getting Street Fighter 4 in mint condition, box, instruction guide, and everything for $12 for the 360. So that way I can play against some of my fellow 360 compatriots. I think that Gamefly is doing the right thing. You know, re they really are showing themselves to be the Netflix equivalent for gamers. And I really like the organization. I actually contacted them also because I wanted to speak to some of their staff on the air just about their... Um, their theories and how they they took Gamefly from when I remember joining it from something so small to you know pretty much a, a juggernaut on par with Netflix. So I definitely want to give them kudos for you know taking a step in the right direction. I also believe that Netflix is going to be doing the same thing by putting out a an app on the uh, iPhone for that. So definitely props to Gamefly for that. And to close out the game news, a lot of you have been telling me the uh, great joys that you've had of buying games at Toys R Us for the two-for-one sale. But uh, guess what? Best Buy is going to be doing it, I believe, starting this Sunday. Best Buy will be holding a buy-two-get-one-free sale, which I will fucking probably take advantage of to get Tekken 6 and possibly, which I don't have for some reason, I'll pick up Tekken 6 and Demon Souls just so I can try it out. Um, I actually did the Gamefly sale also, and I'm probably going to pick up the first Left 4 Dead. I put up the trailer for the second Left 4 Dead on MyTakeRadio.com, so if you get a chance, head on over there to check it out. And uh, Best Buy's two for one. Definitely going to be something I'm going to take advantage of. The only thing that sucks is that it's only valid on games that are 60 bucks. Uh, once again, that's going to wrap up the gaming news, and if you want to call in and discuss any of the stuff that I've talked about in the last hour or so of the broadcast, feel free to call in 347-324-3541 is the magic number. Once again, 347-324-3541 is the magic number. And wow, it looks like we got our first call and I think it's slick. Sir, you're on the air. What's up? What's up, man? What's going on? Oh, not much, man. I'm kind of sick, but I wanted to call in about the... Um the whole possibility of GameStop buying Steam. Uh, I mean, yeah, GameStop basically is the poison that's slowly killing gaming, but 
in a way, as a business, you got to, you know, look at it from their standpoint. A lot of other companies are, like, trying to dig into their their market share because you have, like, I haven't seen it myself, but there's the rumor that Best Buy is trying to get into the whole used game thing. And I have seen it in New York that Toys R Us now has a whole trade-in procedure where, you know, you can get money towards new games. I don't know how, actually, they do have the, um, like, a listing on their website of what games are worth, like, how much money you'll get. And it's, at least for a lot of games, it's a lot better than what GameStop will give you. Well, that's the thing that Amazon is doing, too, from what I gather. That everybody's trying to jump in on the used gaming market. I mean, even Gamefly buys back games. But the shit is that, and I'm, and I'm going to go back to the, to the GameStop and, and Steam thing. GameStop's problem is that they don't have competition. And the fact is that they just circle jerk their way around the gaming industry makes me sick. You go in there, they strong arm you into pre-ordering shit, they hire sometimes really shitty employees that nine times out of ten may or may not be knowledgeable about the shit they're selling. And on top of the fact, they, if, if they have 20 copies of a game and you don't pre-order it, they fucking make sure to, to scold you before they sell you the shit. Do you, do you have any idea how many times I've walked in for, to, for, to buy a game that's been out already for, for you know, a day or two that I know they have copies of? I go to buy, did you pre-order it? I'm like, motherfucker, do you want my $60? Can I get the fucking game? It's like, yo, how about this? I didn't pre-order the shit, dick face. Give me my game. Here's my 60 bucks. Send me on my fucking way. Have a nice day. It's ridiculous. I don't understand why they insist on strong-arming you. I know that they, they you know, it's part of their, you know, their, their, their reps got to earn numbers on pre-sales. But you know what? Offer me the pre-sale. I say no. We move on. I walk in to buy a game. Sell me the game. Did you happen to pre-order? No, I didn't. Okay, well, here you go. That's it. But if it's a question where they got, you know, 10 copies and they're all pre-ordered, they can go, you know, you didn't unfortunately pre-order it, so unfortunately I can't sell it to you. Okay, I'd be perfectly cool with that. Thanks a lot, man. And I'd walk out. But I don't like that almost all the game stops I go to, they go with this smarmy, scummy, douchebaggy delivery of, hey, man, you didn't pre-order it. You're not going to be able to get it when it comes out. Or you didn't pre-order it, but you're lucky that we have, you know, 28 copies of the shit. Look, dude, fuck you. Sell me the damn game. That's what annoys me about GameStop. And I think that them going this route with Steam is going to be a lot of that same force-fed shit. One of the things people tell me about Steam is that it's very straightforward, very easy to work with. You bang in, you, you buy your game, you play your game, you keep it moving. I have a feeling... As soon as you log into Steam, did you pre-order the newest game that's coming out on Steam? Oh, no, you didn't. What a shame. Like, that's what I see happening. If you didn't pre-order the newest game on Steam, you're forced to play Pac-Man and Pong. That's it. You know, like, I see I don't like GameStop's approach to, to just the, the, their overall business model. And you know what? I, I go to GameStop. Like, right now, I pre-order DJ Hero. The pre-order for the fucking game was $25. Great. I gave the guy 25 bucks. I walked in, I said, I want to pre-order DJ Hero. He goes, 25 bucks. Do you want to pre-order anything else? 
I go, no. He's like, but Call of Duty comes out next month. Motherfucker, didn't I just tell you no? I don't give a shit. It's like, I, I, I don't understand how that's their business model. And you know who, who has a flawed business model that's just as shitty? Fucking, um, what the hell is that game store that's going out of business? Fuck. Game crazy? The one on, game crazy. I walked in there to buy a game. The fucking guy's on his Bluetooth cell phone. Just chilling. I'm like, dude, can I get this game? Yeah, hold on, hold on a second. I wanted to reach over the counter and pop his head like a zit. It, it's ridiculous. I, I feel that all these companies, and this is what's happening, we need the mom and pop stores. We need them. And every time I see a mom and pop game store close, it upsets me because it's another fucking victory for the juggernaut of fucking shit dicks known as GameStop. I'm sorry, and I'm more than sure that there are GameStop employees listening on the show and former GameStop employees, and I understand. I understand that it's your job. I understand that you have to do it. And you know what? I, I love those guys. I love walking into a GameStop where the guy's like, hey, man, did you like this game? Yeah, it was cool, dude. And we do our transaction real cordial. Maybe we'll have a little bit of small talk. But I'm not being forced to held at gunpoint when I'm in there. It's just like, all right, dude, you know, here's your game. Thanks a lot. And I love that. I love my transaction to take five minutes. If I wanted it to take 20 minutes, I'd go in there and shoot the shit with you. I do not like that. And I think the Steam thing is going to go that same route. It's ridiculous. But you know me. Like, where I live, I have at least two good mom and pop stores around me, and they've been around for a long-ass time. And when everybody right, right, right. Bitching, Definitely. When everybody was bitching that they couldn't get Demon Souls, I walked right in there and picked up a copy. I could walk right in there and pick up another copy tomorrow. Exactly, and that's one of that's one of the things that also bothers me. The uh, the uh, you know you got a game, uh, good example, Samurai Showdown Collection. Samurai Showdown Collection came out. I remember it on a Tuesday. I walked in there. The guy goes, he they they hadn't offered me a pre-order whenever I asked for it. I'd go in there like, hey, when are you guys getting Samurai Showdown Collection? They'd look on the computer. Oh, it's not listed on here. I'm like. It's coming out next week. Oh, it's not listed on here. Okay. Uh, do you know any stores in the area? I might have it. No. I don't even think that's coming out for the PS2. Motherfucker, I'm holding an ad for this shit in my hand. How are you going to tell me no? And then I end up walking in and buying it at fucking Best Buy. No, you actually got it from me at the mom and pop. Exactly. You know, and where where where'd you find the game? At the mom and pop. Not the giant mecca of gaming known as GameStop. Oh, no. The mom and pop had it. Because the mom and pop gave a fuck about its, its customers by getting those niche games. Yeah, they may have four copies of it, but you know what? Those four copies are guaranteed to be sold because they, they give a fuck about what they're trying to deliver. They, they got to pay the rent. They got to pay their bills. You know, they're not a franchise fucking juggernaut that will close up one shop and open up another shop three blocks down in two weeks. You know, it's it's upsetting. Exactly. You know, and I and I'm worried. I I worry for for the the PC gamers that are fans of Steam because I see them getting fucked. That's PC it. gamers have gotten fucked one way or another forever, and they they're still around. I yeah, mean, well, honestly, I see, as much as I don't want to see them lose Steam, I think they'd be all right. I think that PC gamers, and I, and, and I don't want to, and I, I see the other callers on hold. I see, I'll get to you guys in a second. I, um, 
I definitely, and it's a, it's a terrible thing to say, but I definitely don't see PC gaming moving forward in terms of, of being on par with console gamings ever. On the contrary, I, I, I see PC gaming going, going the way of the dinosaur and being just casual gaming, fucking Tetris, fucking, you know, Farmville, Vampire Wars, you know, little niche games like that. I don't see PC gaming being the driving force that it used to be. I mean, I, I've seen Street Fighter 4 on the PC and the great mod jobs that people have done. I've even seen mod jobs that people have done on Batman Arkham Asylum, which are really cool. Like, you know, they'll do the armored Batman costume. They even made him Captain America for some reason. You know, I think that the PC gaming from a term, from, from a level of customization, is always going to be a beautiful thing. But I think that in terms of just always having to upgrade your hardware to play one of the newest games is just turning a lot of people off because to play a game that you bought for 60 bucks, you've got to update your video card, which is whatever, 75 or 100 bucks, Or you've got to update your drivers. Or you've got to go get you know, this. Or your computer's outdated. And it just gets to a point where the investment becomes so large and so complex that people just go, you know what, I'll fucking go and pay 60 bucks to get the game. I hear you, man. Yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, brother, let me just bang in through these calls. As always, uh, thank you for the call, sir. All right, no problem. All right, man. Peace. Peace. You're on the air. Who's this? Hey, Rich. How you doing? Hey, what's going on? Not too much. Not too much. It's dark. Uh, calling in to expand a little bit on the uh, practices of GameStop, too, to give you a little bit more insight. Um... Please share. GameStop is a bitch of a company. I used to work for them, and I used to date someone who was an assistant manager and a manager at one point. Um, the whole thing with the pushing the pre-orders and stuff, um, that's your job. If you don't reach a quota, your job goes on the line. So that's why kids and that's why everyone behind there um, – really pushes that shit because they're trying to get those numbers up and cook the books. Ah, I see. So it's, I, you know, I try to, you know, just because I've been behind the counter and, you know, they all try to do their spiel, I just kind of let them do their shit and make them shut up, you know, quicker that way. Um, But that's essentially what it is. And in addition to that, um, when they, when they try to sell you the the, the insurance on the games, like, do they still do that with you? Like if a game's between $1 and $10, if you put an extra dollar on it, you can come back if something happens to it and they'll replace it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the product, the replacement plan, the replacement plan for the games. Yeah, that's fucking a bag of shit, too. Yeah, that was, um, that was based on commission for a while. And then they took that away from, they, they ended up taking that away from, and it became a numbers thing, too. So it's really ridiculous, like, how they, you know, I mean, the job itself is very simple. That's why they keep hiring people who are, you know, of a certain age, you know. It doesn't take much to alphabetize, and it doesn't take much to ring shit up and put some cash in a register. But, you know, they have such a high turnaround because I, I, the job is shit. And then, you know, if you don't keep your numbers up, that's, that, that, that gives them access to, you know, cut your hours. And then eventually, you know, they just kind of wave you off. You're, you're, you know, 
they don't have to they don't have to fire you because you're trying to make a living, so you end up leaving on your own. It's a perfect system. That's insane. That's really yeah. fucking nuts. And I, and it yeah. disturbs me that you know here here you think that the poor kid that gets hired is just getting a little hourly job, but it's like hey, man, you've got to sell 20 of these or we'll fire you. Like, I think this is one of the reasons why so many of, the, of the, younger, the younger kids I see working in GameStop are just fucking mindless robots. Do you want to get a replacement plan? No. Okay, next. Do you want to pre-order? No. Okay, next. And they just, it's just an endless script. And then the ones that are, you know, the, the shills are the ones that go really hard, and that's probably the ones that, are, that have learned the commission game. You know, and those are the ones that they'll be like, come on, man, you got to pre-order it. Come on, you got to get it. What about if you come in and it's not here? It's like, ugh, come on, just sell me the shit. Right. It, it's all because they're trying to get their numbers up because they're trying to keep a job. There's some people there that want to try to work their way up that ladder, you know, and, and, and get the, uh, you know, get the, uh, I forget the fucking terminology where it is now, but they have, like, the district managers and stuff like that and, the store managers, and if you're a store manager, you know, that's when you start getting benefits and shit like that, but, like, they have, like, the different, you know, first, you're an hourly, then you're, like, a key, like, a first key, second key, third key, whatever the hell they do, and then, then you start, you know, the assistant manager, then general manager, and then it just, you're just working your way up that corporate ladder, and it's so fucking long and tedious. But there's some people that just want to stick it through and try to do it, and a lot of them end up falling along the way. That's really messed up, you know. Now I can I can see why you don't uh, why you're definitely not uh, not fucking with that anymore. Because I, if that's really what it is, if it's you know not disputing what you're saying, but if it's one of those things where you know it's painted really pretty on the outside and it's just rotten inside, it makes no sense. That's why I feel that. You know, and, and like I always say, the, the, the mom and pop stores, either that or you just need to come up with a competitor to, to level the playing field. Because right now, GameStop is really full of itself. You know, let me sell a used game for – selling used games for $5 cheaper than new ones is, you know, they, they're only getting away with that shit because nobody's figured out a way to beat them. Mm-hmm, essentially. It, it's, very, it's very disheartening, especially as a gamer that you can't walk into a store honestly – Give uh, give your money to buy a product and walk out without getting harassed. It's very fucking irritating. There was a mom and pop store when I used to live in Massachusetts called Game Universe. Those pl- that place was just awesome. I mean, it was run by gamers, you know, people who really knew, who gave a shit, held the right tournaments between um, the old school games and the newer ones. They had about five plasma TVs set up. Everyone came in, hung out, played. Um, you know, it was a really good atmosphere, and it also helped that they had, like, a Chinese, you know, food, you know, takeout. Nice. That was pretty awesome. But, um, yeah, I remember going there for tournaments, and I think one of the coolest things, too, is actually got the band Power Glove to play inside the store. That's pretty badass. <laughs> yeah. I really wish, I mean, I really wish that I could, if possible, open up my own game store, because I have a fucking flawless model that I think would be successful. I don't think it'd end up becoming a franchise, but who knows? But I think that, you know, off the bat, and I, and I can share this idea, off the bat, any game you buy within the first two weeks of purchase, you'd, you're entitled to get 50% of the value of the game back. Off the bat. That's it. You know, like, 
Like, nothing is more disheartening. You pay 60 bucks for a game, you come in a week or two later when you're done, and they go, we give you 20 bucks. What? Are you kidding me? No shit. You get a hell of a lot more turnaround that way with your stock also, because there's always those people out there that'll just play the game for, like, two or four you know, two or four days, beat the thing, not even want to, like, you know, really go through and then go back, turn it back in, get a new game. Makes sense to me. Yep, I do that. Other, other I places, do that. I mean, GameStop's just fucking greedy. I mean, there were times, like, when I'd look at, you know, the turn in value, the trade in value, and then what you sell it for, it was, like, over 700%. That's, that's, that's disgusting. Yeah, it's, like, really, really bad. So, yeah, that's why I, uh, that's why I express my distaste for GameStop, you know. People say, you know, you just don't buy from there. It's like, well, you know, it's getting to a point now where it's becoming a little bit of an issue, and if you want to make a stand, you better make it now. Yeah, I I avoid it while I can. I mean, you know, the DJ Hero thing, I ended up pre-ordering at GameStop because, like, an asshole, I want the Renegade Edition, and you're not going to be able to walk into a store and buy that shit. It'll be impossible. So, you know, they got me on that one. But we'll see what happens. Yep. Well, my but- dear, I appreciate you calling in with the – with the insight to GameStop, and I'm more than sure you've educated a lot of the listeners, so I appreciate the call. Not a problem. Always always happy to lend some info. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yep. Later. All right. Peace. You're on the air. Who's this? This is Strider. Ah, Strider. I figured you would call in, especially because you have some familiarity with GameStop. It seems I'm getting all the GameStop employees. What do you got for me, sir? Well, it's not really in defense of GameStop or anything like that. Oh, no, I know you're not going to defend it at all. (laughs) I know you're not going to defend it at all. But, But, you know, know, she pretty much, you know, Miss Ark, when she called, she pretty much touched on all the points that I was about to go over. But uh, I must say, uh, I definitely, I'm really pissed at how really GameStop is operating. I mean, really, the way, way GameStop I've seen lately, I mean, ever since my departure from the store in February, um, it's just been it's just been hectic. I mean, even the store where I used to live, where I used to work, I mean, the guy still, the store manager does, still doesn't even have an assistant manager or, uh, or yeah, he barely has a freaking uh, supervisor to cover for him. He only has, like, two other employees working with us, which is him and two other guys. And, you know, the reason why he doesn't even have any fucking staff is because people fucking leave. They get tired of the shit because of all the bullshit they put up with. I mean, it was a dead-end job. If you go to GameStop and you become a store manager, you're pretty much fucking stuck unless you find something better, and you need to find something better. So it becomes – because there's, no, there's nothing really – you don't really gain anything from GameStop other than, you know, oh, well, you get the you get the rent, you get the rent games for free. You get to check it out and play it for four days. You know, it's like they're paying people. It's like they're giving. It's like they're giving people the privilege to play games instead of giving them pay raises. And basically, GameStop offers no real incentive for their staff to stay. Oh shit! But and I didn't get to ask Art this, but you might be able to confirm it. Are all the are there GameStop stores that are independently owned and operated, or is it all just straight franchise propaganda from top to bottom? Now, as far as I'm concerned, GameStop is a franchise. Um, everything, everything is connected. You know, it's it's run by the corporate office in uh, in uh, Texas, and 
Let's see, yeah, the only place I know around here that's, like, you know, privately owned, independently owned is uh, Game, not Game Trader, Play and Trade. Right, right, right. Play and Trade is independently owned. I actually had given some thought to, you know, trying to see if I could get a business loan to franchise one of those. And I think it's like they want, like, 50 grand, 75 grand to do it. But what I, and what I wanted to know was, especially with something like Play and Trade, is, yeah, you buy the franchise and whatever, but are you running it your way or their way? That was one of the things which kind of seemed a little gray to me. And, you know, that's why I asked you that about GameStop because there's one or two GameStops I've gone into where, you know, the guys are, you know, they kind of skirt around a couple of things. You know, they kind of do things a certain way, which definitely doesn't seem like the norm. That's why I figured I'd ask you that. Well, that's well, that's the thing. I mean, when I used to work there, you know, when I actually had enthusiasm for the place, you know, you have you have actual gamers, you know, and this it basically came a safe haven for people like us, you know, to converse about games, and you know, and I actually recommend shit to, that would actually, they would actually want, you know, not only were you whereas you know, in, in when I was working there, you were a gamer, and you talk to gamers and you sell gamers. Whereas nowadays, you know, they focus more on salesmanship. You know, they figure, you know, anyone can sell a game to anybody if you're if you know how to speak to people. You know, customer service is number one. I have no problems with that. But my problem I do have is that when you do that, you take away what makes gaming special to certain to certain gamers like us. You take away that certain passion that we have. And just like you said, you you know, people become mindless zombies. Mindless robots, you know, just churning out numbers for the sake of maintaining your job position. So it really becomes a depressing sight uh, when you work there for a certain amount of time and you just get disgusted and wore out and you just say, man, screw it, I'm out of here. And that's pretty much what GameStop is going through. I mean, everyone, all the people that, that don't work there, that like customers, they walk in, dude, this is a great place to work. I was like, yeah, if you're just a regular employee, that's fine. But if you work up the management, you're going to basically fuck yourself in the ass. Yeah, I hear you, dude. I think I think that, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where you, um, you know, you try to be loyal to an organization, but they, they really aren't doing anything to make themselves redeemable. So I can understand your, your disheartening, you know, your, yeah. your lack of uh, – your lack of motivation to even support the company, even though you no longer work for them. Because I, I know people, they'll, they'll quit a job and they'll go, hey, this job is cool, but, you know. I mean, the job would be fine if you actually received more support from the upper, from the staff above you, but you really don't. You don't get any incentive to actually do your work better. You don't feel good about your job. And that's what GameStop really does now. And that's that's what really kills it, you know. They don't they don't turn they turn gamers into so-called professionals, and you really can't be a uh, be professional about gaming. You're supposed to have fun with gaming, and of course, yeah. So it's it's really weird. It's how to describe it, but it's uh, yeah, it's a really shitty situation, and that's pretty much all I'm going to say about that shit. Well, I I appreciate you know, your insight on, on the on the GameStop fiasco. So, uh, you know, stick around. I got to just uh, take this next call and run through the movie news. But as always, I appreciate the call, homie. One more thing. Fuck GameStop sure. about theme. Oh, yeah, fuck of course. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, fuck them in the ass with an iron-rusted dildo. All fuck right, all right.
Let's not get let's not get crazy. You know what I told you about that. See you later, man. All right, homie. Peace. All right, bye. All right, we we got the calls coming in. You're on the air. Who's this? Yeah, what's up, man? This is Mudkips. Ah, Mudkips, the legendary Mudkips. What's going on, sir? What can I do uh, for you? Uh, just have a couple things to say. Uh, first thing about GameStop uh, with the Steam thing. If they buy Steam, I will never buy another Steam-powered game. Never play another Steam-powered game ever. Cause I, I can't blame you. You are not the first person to say stop. that. Never. That's and, funny. Uh, se- uh, second thing is uh, with digital distribution and everything, um, how do you feel about Hulu charging next year for their videos? You know, I was reading about that earlier, and I wasn't 100% sure I wanted to cover it, but, you know, it's good that you bring it up. The thing is, if Hulu goes in, in terms of getting premium content, then okay, maybe I can see, I can see a rationale in charging. But if they're just going to be charging to watch old episodes of the fucking A-Team, they can go fuck themselves because that's stupid. I can understand if they started getting, you know, more exclusive broadcasting or net or webisodes of certain programs. Like, you know, uh, using, let's say, Heroes for an example. Say you watch the Heroes broadcast and you, you pay a subscription fee for Hulu and you can watch Heroes webisodes, you know, of stuff that happens between the weeks. Uh, you know, I can see that definitely being a good marketing tool, but as a whole, it has to be a negligible price, and it has to be something that has original content. I'm not going to pay money to watch old shit. I think it's stupid in that respect. Yeah, I agree on that. Um, I'm a big YouTuber, and I watch a lot of videos on YouTube, and um, whenever Viacom came down on YouTube, it just sucked that I couldn't find any of my TV shows that I wanted to watch anymore. And whenever, yeah, Hulu, I hear you. whenever Hulu came up, I thought it was like the best thing ever, and now that they're going to start charging, it just really pisses me off that I just don't understand why they're charging because you can see the episodes on Fox or ABC or NBC for free. That is true, but you know what it is? That's what I'm saying. The only way that they're going to get any type of revenue is if they go that route with, uh, with you know, bigger, with bigger programming. You know, if they start offering, you know, shit that you can only find on, on hardcore cable channels. You know, if they did something like, like True Blood or shit like that, then maybe, you know, programming yeah, I, like I, that, that, I've noticed that they have uh, more shows from cable networks now. They have Sci-Fi and all the other uh, NBC Universal channels that they have on cable. Well, now, now I'd ask you if if you were to pay, what do you think would be negligible? Just 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 you personally, five bucks I a feel, month. I I feel as if like if Hulu were to start charging, it would have to be kind of a low fee. But it would it would have to be monthly, so it'd probably be about nine ninety nine. But it, but I would say they should only charge for the things that would be on cable, like the networks like Fox, NBC, ABC. They should not charge for that content. I, I agree. Nice nine ninety nine is not bad at all. But you know what's gonna happen? The minute that they go and they do that, I see Apple pulling something out of their ass with iTunes, and and and, and television programming. Yeah, I would see them actually making use of their Apple TV. Yep. That's one reason why I never really bought the Apple TV because I used, I, I used my Mac Mini to do the same job. But I think they would move a lot of Apple TV units if it was all direct uh, cable card-based programming and you only paid 10 bucks a month. I think they'd kill like every cable company in the country with that. 
yeah, that's probably true. Like paying ten bucks a month for cable shows is nothing compared to the fifty bucks you'd have to pay for Comcast. Yep, I think that would be. I think Apple Apple might be onto something because there's been rumors with that. And if you know what you're telling me about Hulu, you know, I mean, I, I've read the article, but just you giving a little bit more insight, I think that it's going to be a problem for sure. Yeah, I feel as if a lot of Hulu's fan base is going to go away if they start charging. Well, we'll see what happens, man. All right. All right, brother. I appreciate the call. Thanks, man. All right, no problem. Later. Yeah, that that Hulu shit is definitely going to be a a problem. I um I use Hulu once in a while. It comes in handy, especially for using uh for video clips to share online for certain TV programs and for just reference points. So if they really go into a price-based model, it's definitely they're going to lose probably I'd say at least a good 60% of their fan base. But who knows? We'll see where it goes from there. Let's get into some of these movie news. Uh first off, of course, I want to definitely start talking about Spider-Man 4. It seems every week um especially over the next few months, I'm going to always have some type of story on Spider-Man 4. And um, there's actually a few stories about it this week. Uh, Sam Raimi actually was interviewed by MTV, and they, he was asked if the common complaint about Spider-Man 3 having too many villains is relevant. And he responded by saying that he thought that having so many villains detracted from the experience and that he agrees with the criticism. He said, uh, I think I've learned about the importance of getting to the point and the importance of having limitations. And hoping, I'm hoping to take that into this next production where I'm actually allowed to explore with more of the tools to pull off something with a little bit more splendor. I would like to take Spider-Man 4 back to basics. You know, I really get mad and really annoyed with Sam Raimi, and I'll tell you why. If the inclusion of Venom and the inclusion of the new Goblin were such a hindrance, why didn't you take a firm stand against Marvel and say, look, man, I really want to do this movie my way. You know, you saw the success of Spider-Man 2, which I did my way, and the first Spider-Man, which I did my way, and they're proven success stories. I feel that, and you know, he could have been like, I feel that the addition of all these secondary characters is going to take away from the story. Because quite honestly, you know, and I shit on Venom every, t- every time, because it, there was no fucking necessity for Venom. New Goblin... Definitely was really cool. Uh, He added to the story. I think that, you know, he was pivotal in the battle against Sandman. You know, Venom killing him off, quote-unquote. You know, they could have added that afterwards just to make it relevant. But his involvement with the Sandman was the key point, and the relationship between him and Peter Parker was a key point. And I felt that that's where Spider-Man 3 was its strongest. I feel that they failed at capturing, you know, the full essence of of the character, and that was because they wanted to relegate time to each one of them. You know, they wanted to give Sandman some time. They wanted to give Venom backstory and time and make him look cool. At the end of the day, it just became a jumbled mess, besides, you know, the whole emo Spider-Man thing when he got the black costume, which I will shit on till the day I die. I think that by... If they would have removed Venom out of the equation, you wouldn't have got emo Spider-Man, and you would have gotten a more emotional, deeper story, especially if you're using the whole thing of Sandman being involved in the death of Uncle Ben. That type of shit made 
made the meat and potatoes of the Spider-Man 3 movie. It, when it started shifting towards Topher Grace and Venom and all that bullshit, it really did shit the bed. The, the Peter Parker dance number, awful. Awful. I think at the end of the day, people want to watch Spider-Man, you know, to escape into a comic book playing out on screen. And by adding all this extra shit that, you know, just muddies up the water, you're, you're taking away from a movie that it's going to be successful no matter what. Spider-Man 2 was the, the, the turning point in terms of great Spider-Man movies. I think that, you know, his relationship with Dr. Octopus was played out really good in the beginning of the movie. You had your, you know, your, your antagonist, you know, kind of making shit hard for Spider-Man, and then you had kind of the, the full 360 and, and the payoff. That movie was, was perfect in execution. Spider-Man 3, there was way too much jumping around and way too much of trying to squeeze so many things into, you know, two hours of film. But I think he's learned his lesson, and he's going to try and just do a more basic approach, which also leads me to finding out that Dylan Baker, who's played Dr. Connors in the last few Spider-Man movies, is going to be in the fourth one. He did confirm it. Whether he's going to be playing the lizard or not remains to be seen. But I think that it's going to be something where they've already set up the basis for the character so I can see him being used. Uh, Raimi was also asked if Spider-Man 4 is going to connect with the solo Venom project. And his response was, it hasn't come up to me, and I think the studio's just letting me work with the writers and trying to make the best stories for this universe. I don't know if Venom is a separate universe or not. That is what is always going to you know, kind of sour me on aspects of um, Marvel movies. And it's the basis that, you know, Hulk, Iron Man, the Avengers, Captain America, and Thor are all going to tie in together. I can understand X-Men being owned by a studio and Spider-Man being owned by another studio. But at the end of the day, it's all part of the Marvel umbrella, and there really should be an acknowledgement of presence for each character. Same thing with Daredevil, same thing with the Punisher. I could always sit here and, you know, I've said this before about till I'm blue in the face, but you need all these characters to exist in the same universe because the possibilities and the stories that can be used are, 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 are they're pivotal. They're, they're important in terms of longevity, original storytelling, and just keeping people interested. You can only watch but so much Spider-Man before you start saying, but didn't he do this with this guy, or didn't he meet with these characters? You know, things like that are very important, and I think that those things need to be the focus, especially for Marvel. And it seems that DC is jumping into that because there's, you know, I was reading an article about the Green Lantern movie, which they're actually considering to have uh, Haley, uh, Jackie Earl Haley play, Jackie Earl Hartley, sorry, playing Sinestro in the Green Lantern movie, and one of the things that was mentioned was a cameo by Superman because they want all these movies to exist in the same universe, which I think, you know, is very smart by DC because, you know, you got money makers like Batman and Superman that you can, boom, throw together in a movie instantly. You can go the Justice League route. You know, you can put the Flash in there. I think that all these movies, especially comic-based ones, need to exist on the same plane and in the same universe. It, you know, it, it adds more creativity to all the storylines. Whether they do that or not remains to be seen, but I definitely am appreciating the fact that Sam Raimi understands and acknowledges that Spider-Man 3 was an utter bag of shit, 
and I also appreciate the fact that DC is trying to also follow suit in terms of keeping all the things together. Let's go into some of these uh, box office totals. No surprise where the wild things are was number one this week. It earned $32.4 million. It is the eighth biggest October opening ever, and the film had a $100 million budget, so kudos to that. I definitely want to go and see it because I thought it was you know, very interesting and very well done. So I want to check it out when I get a chance. Uh, Law Abiding Citizen came in number two, which is another movie I want to see. Paranormal Activity came in number three this week. I actually picked that up. I'm not going to go into the details of how, but I am going to be watching it this week and should have a review uh, come next week's broadcast. Couples Retreat, bag of shit that it is, fell three spots to number four. Uh, the Stepfather debuted at five, and I could really give two shits about it. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was six. Zombieland was seven. Toy Story and Toy Story 2 were eight, and it's made $28.5 million, and it's an old-ass movie. Surrogates, another lump of shit, fell three spots to number nine. And The Invention of Lying, which looked actually very good based on the trailer and from what I've heard, uh, fell to number ten. I think Ricky Gervais is a... Uh, Phenomenal comedian. He has great comedic timing. He has that real snarky, smarmy humor down pat. And I, it's a shame that his movie wasn't more successful, but yeah, what, what can you do? Um, Shock Till You Drop said that Derek Mears, the guy who played Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th remake, is going to be joining the cast of Robert Rodriguez's Predators, which of course is the reboot slash reimagining of the Predator film which I kind of have a love and hate relationship with just based on some of the casting. Um, I'm more than sure that Mears is probably going to play the Predator in costume. Um, the rest of the cast is Adrian Brody, Topher Grace, Danny Trejo, uh, and Alice Braga, and Walton Goggins. Who I, I have no idea who that dude is, but I'm really not feeling fucking Topher Grace and Adrian Brody being being taken seriously as emo soldiers fucking fighting an, out an alien from another world. Danny Trejo is fucking win. Anything Danny Trejo is in is win. The fact that he's doing mach machete is going to be win. But the, the Adrian Brody and Topher Grace, not really feeling that casting. But who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, one of the things that caught my attention was the fact that there's a lot more video game movies coming out recently, and there's a lot more video game news that are coming out, of, of, of which one of them is the movie about Kane and Lynch, which is going to supposedly start filming in March, and Bruce Willis is going to be playing Kane. Um, it's going to be done by Lionsgate, and Bruce Willis uh, came in to read. He felt that it was one of the best action scripts he ever read, and Bruce Willis, you know, being an expert in action scripts, felt that it was one of the best things that's come along in the last 20 years. Um, I think him playing Kane is a good look, just because Bruce Willis, he can play that, that sadistic, crazy guy really well, especially when given the right material. I mean, it, it's, it's playing a little bit on Hardigan from Sin City and a little bit on John McClane if he's playing the character of Kane. I honestly think that Lynch should be played by Billy Bob Thornton. I don't know why, but I think that he would fit as a sadistic mercenary with Bruce Willis. That's just me doing personal casting on my own. I think that Bruce Willis playing the part, he's going to definitely add some depth to the character. Uh, I guess we got a slick calling back. Sir, you're on the air. What's up? 
Yeah, I wanted to touch on the uh, whole Marvel Pictures fucking up the whole Venom story and everything. everything. And Shoot, how you, you say, you know, I was just adding on to how you were saying this should be acknowledgement of these characters in, in other, you know, movie universes so that things, if ever need to be, can be merged together properly. Because even though, you know, maybe you couldn't do it in a movie, Marvel's really good for doing these little cartoon movies. Maybe you could have did, like, a Secret Wars cartoon if, you know, acknowledge, like, Avengers and shit in the Spider-Man universe and vice versa. Because yep. then you could have did the Venom story right. And their whole desire to want to do a movie just with Venom, you have guaranteed at least three movies if you do it right. Because if you don't want to spend a whole shitload on special effects, you could do one of those cartoon movies that tell the Venom backstory because... Everybody calls Venom a symbiote when the race that he comes from is actually parasites. That's a story right. in and of itself. He's an outcast. The, the, the symbiote is an outcast just for being a symbiote. Right. It's like the shit that Spider-Man found him in was a prison. That's correct. Well, you know what? I think, I think that, you know, and, and, you, and you touch on a valid point. It, you know, and this goes back to what Sam Raimi said about the overabundance of characters in the Spider-Man movie. The problem is that a character like Venom needs a lot of setup. You can't do setup for that deep of a character in five minutes. You can't make this meteor just land. Oh, Peter Parker picks it up while on a bicycle ride. Oh, the costume all of a sudden just grafts to his skin. There, there, there's deeper story involved. I mean, one of the original things that was being considered was that it was supposed to be uh, Sandman and the and Manwolf. J. Jonah Jameson's son was supposed to become Manwolf, but they felt that the character wasn't deep enough for for that type of a movie, and he wasn't adding. You know, there wasn't much you can do with him. Oh, he turns into a werewolf. What about it? So you know, they took him out. But on the same token, you take the Venom story, you cut you cut it seventeen different ways to jam it into the Spider-Man story for this movie and it just didn't work. It was poorly executed and it ruined, you know, an otherwise great execution of a character. But I think that a Venom solo project can be successful if they use the Venom lethal protector storyline where, you know, he's more of the vigilante kind of with the chip on his shoulder, but there needs to be an acknowledgement of Spider-Man. Even if you end the movie with Venom, like killing some guy and him swinging through the city and Spider-Man swinging behind him. You know, that, that would be something that would be, that would keep it tied together, but not to the point of ridiculousness. You know, you don't even need Topher Grace in costume. Just, oh, there goes Spider-Man behind, you know, following Venom. Exactly. I you mean, know, that's one of the things. You need that continuity. You need acknowledgement because they all exist in the same universe in the books. And if you're trying to bring those books to life, you have to keep that same continuity. I mean, you could have a whole freaking movie with Eddie Brock fighting with the freaking symbiote because basically a symbiote wants to eat people's heads and Eddie Brock doesn't want to do that. Right, but you have to also take into consideration Eddie Brock didn't start having a change of heart till later in the books. The initial um, Venom appearance was his constant hatred of Spider-Man and the fact that he wanted to go through any means necessary to make his life miserable. And if that meant killing people, pretending to be him, which he did in some books, that 
was the length that he would go to. And I think that that right, right there is its own movie because by Eddie Brock being framed by Spider-Man and becoming Venom, he can become Peter Parker because the costume yeah. can change his appearance. You know, right there you have a, a complete, you know, two hours of, of, of footage that you can work with, you know? But not even, not even, because I know you, you take every opportunity to shit on the emo dance scene, but the whole problem with that is that they just failed to tell a much better story. And it's sad that a 22-minute cartoon did the symbiote Spider-Man story better than a freaking big-budget movie. Because on Spectacular Spider-Man, before Venom was even born, Symbiote Spider-Man beat the shit out of the Sinister Six, and Peter Parker was asleep. Right. That is true. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, that but, whole scene was crazy. But you got to look at it this way, and this is this is why I can't I can't be angry at Topher Grace playing Venom. I can't even be angry at the way Venom looked. I'm angry at the fact that Marvel forced the issue on Raimi. They were like. Raimi's like, who, do, who are we doing the movie with? Oh, I'm going to use the Sandman and the New Goblin. Well, we really think you should put Venom in it. No, well, you know, he really doesn't fit into the way I'm moving the story along. Yeah, but we think you should put him in. And he's like, no. And he's like, we really think you should put him in. You know, he got backed into a corner. So as angry as I do get it at, at what he did to the movie franchise, I also t have to sometimes stop myself from being too belligerent about it just because it, he was doing his job. You know, they told him, dude, you got to put him in. And he's like, fuck. So what he did was, and, and, I, and I bet you if, if you if you asked him off the record, he'd probably say it, he made the character shitty on purpose because he didn't like the character. He said it in hundreds of interviews, which I can probably find most of them leading up to the, the release of that movie, where he was like, eh, I wasn't really too big on the Venom character, but, you know, Marvel insisted I put him in. So he said, all right, motherfuckers, you want him in? I'm going to do him my way, and I'm just going to make him look like a pussy. Just because by doing that, Marvel will get the hint, and they won't decide to keep adding Venom to my movies. I'll add Venom when I want to add him, you know? And that's why him acknowledging the continuity between Spider-Man and Venom, he left the door open because if he is going to do it, he's going to do it his way. He's going to do the setup like that. You know, same thing with Dr. Octopus. Same thing with the lizard appearing in the last three movies, you know, the, with uh, Kurt Connors. Kurt Connors appearing in all three movies isn't just because, hey, it's another character that people from the Spider-Man universe know. I, it's, it's a setup for that. It's a setup for the character of the lizard. And the fact that Dylan Baker confirmed that he's in it, what's he going to do? Talk to Spider-Man, you know, to Peter Parker for five minutes? No. He's probably going to be the antagonist this time around, as it should be. Yeah, that, that whole thing with, you know, Connors being in three movies and then rushing Venom out, that, I mean... And you, see, you see what I'm saying? Uh, that it's forced. It adds, it, adds, it adds legitimacy to my claim that it was forced and he ruined it on purpose. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they do things much better with, you know, the Avengers, the Hulkbusters, maybe Nick Fury and all kinds of shit like that. 
I mean, what the happens. next Hulk movie could be incredible if they, you know, just go the whole Hulkbuster route. Well, you know what it is? The next, the next Hulk movie is going to be very dependent on what Jon Favreau does with Iron Man because there's an on and, on, on and off again rumor of Edward Norton appearing in, the Hulk, uh, in, in Iron Man 2 as the Hulk. And, you know, they're going to keep that under wraps anyway. So these are the things that are going to set up the other movies. And it's just a matter of how you set it up. It could be him looking for... Bruce Banner to join the Avengers because the Hulk was a, at one point a member of the Avengers or it may end with an issue coming up and them saying look we got to stop this guy he's getting out of hand so the setup is there it's just a matter of how you integrate the setup into the overall movie you know and then the whole ending of the first movie sets up the possibility of alternate Hulks yep Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That they, the Hulk ending was ended the way it was to leave the chapter open because the days without incident is the fact that he mastered his transformations. And the fact that he mastered his transformations is either going to be a good thing or a bad thing. So they left it open-ended for a reason. And I can appreciate that. But, like I said, we'll, we'll see what happens in a few, in, in a few months. What's the next movie that should be coming out, though? The next movie is going to be Iron Man 2. After Iron Man 2, I believe it's going to be either Captain America First Avenger or Thor. Um, according to uh, a review, an, an interview that was actually done at the Big Apple Comic Con, the uh, Captain America First Avenger will be coming out July 22, 2011, and the Avengers movie itself will be released May 4, 2012, if we're still here, quote-unquote. <laughs> Don't start that shit. Exactly. But uh, let me just bang out the, uh, the rest of these news, sir, because we have uh, 30 minutes left in the broadcast. Not a problem, man. All right, brother. Thanks for the call, as always. All right, man. Peace. Peace. Well, in sticking with the uh, topic of comic book movies, uh, the Lobo movie, which I've discussed that Guy Ritchie is doing, um, supposedly is coming along quite well. It seems that... Um, one of the guys from DC that was uh, Akiva Goldsman, actually, who's one of the guys overseeing a lot of these projects. He said that it came, that it's coming along quite well. Uh, they're also working on doing a remake or a reimagining of Swamp Thing. Uh, the only thing he can say about it was that he wants the film to have a southern and really dark horror overtone, like some of the uh, classic Universal movies. I think that a redoing of Swamp Thing would be really cool, just because the Swamp Thing character. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of interesting details. There's a lot of really cool bad guys that he can fight. And I think that, quite honestly, the old Swamp Thing movies, even, even the one with Heather Locklear, had tons of potential. There was, you know, decent acting. Uh, the guy who played Dr. Arcane, Louis Jordan, was, was, a, was great in his role. And I think that Swamp Thing can benefit from, from a reboot. But once again, you know, it's got to be something where the the, per, the the people involved are, you know, um, privy to the character's backstory. They understand, you know, the, the ins and outs of the character because that's one of the things. I think that if I were, you know, if I were uh, a, a studio head and the guy comes to me and he goes, I want to make this movie, I'd be like, all right, here's a stack of comic books. Read this first, then come back to me. That's, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where people, they want to reimagine the characters to a point 
where they lose their identity and they become something totally different. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing a Swamp Thing movie. He also talked about Jonah Hex, which of course is going to be coming out pretty soon. And I think that Jonah Hex is going to be one of those movies that it's going to tread the line between really good and really shitty. So we'll see what happens. Um, switching gears and going back to Kane and Lynch, uh, the, the same studio that's doing the Kane and Lynch movie is also going to be doing a, a movie based on the game Just Cause. And they're also going to be doing the sequel to the Hitman movie, which, you know, the Hitman movie, uh, guilty pleasure of mine. I don't think it was super awful. I don't think it was great either. It was middle of the road. I think Timothy Oliphant's uh, portrayal of Agent 47 was good. I, I honestly, there's a part of me that kind of wishes Vin Diesel would have done the role. I mean, I don't think that he would have done the role as good, but he would have added some a little a, a little air of legitimacy. But who knows? We'll see what happens. What the hell is that? Wow, that was really weird. A little bit of a uh, sound effect going on in the background. I really hope that that was not the show disconnecting, but we're just going to run with it and see what happens. Uh, last bit of movie news was the uh, acquisition of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. Uh, from Mirage by Nickelodeon. Uh, Nickelodeon's going to be handling all promotional items for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. It's uh, going to be one of those things that's going to be really, really, really interesting to see just because you have uh, uh, a really set of dark characters. That's one of the things that people don't acknowledge about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. It was... Uh, you know, very dark. It was dark and really ultra-violent because it was done in black and white. And as soon as the characters became more mainstream, they became more quote-unquote cute and cuddly, I think that the last CGI Ninja Turtles movie kind of took them back to their roots in terms of making them darker characters. The, the Nickelodeon thing, it's, you know, you can put it there by, um, you can put it on the same thing with, you know, Disney buying Marvel where, you worry about the characters, but they, they may not be touched. So I really want to see what Nickelodeon is going to do with the Turtles, and I, I really hope that they continue to promote those characters because the Turtles not only are they, you know, something from my childhood, but I feel that they've never gotten a fair shake in terms of proper execution. I think that the first Ninja Turtles movie was good. The second one, while comedically amusing, and, of course, the introduction of Ninja Rap was very funny. I think that at the end of the day, the third one bombed terribly. And the cartoons have gone from instant classics to, you know, really forgetful cartoons that you don't even want to discuss. So I really hope that Nickelodeon gives them a fair shake and actually moves it forward. I know that they want to do a, a CG animated series with Paramount Pictures, and they're also are going to do a film which should be coming out in 2012. So we'll see what happens. I think that that's going to be... Uh, something I'm going to definitely keep my eye on just because it's something essential to my childhood. Uh, with that, I'm going to close out the movie segment with my review of Drag Me to Hell as well as my review of the Transformers Blu-ray big screen edition. Uh, first off, Drag Me to Hell was done by Sam Raimi. He kind of did it on his little break from Spider-Man movies. Um, Drag Me to Hell, you know, is about a young girl who's a banker and a gypsy woman comes in requesting a loan. 
uh, at at this point, the young girl had previously been instructed by her manager to you know make executive decisions and you know try and be more of a uh, you know kind of a bit more cutthroat was what he was leading leaning towards. And you know the old lady comes in, she's like, look, I've missed my mortgage payments a few times. I've gotten extensions twice. You know, can you help me out? And the lady was like, look, I can't do it. So the gypsy woman spazzes out, puts a curse on her. And that's where the movie just starts moving forward. It was weird because the leading man, the the leading male actor was Justin Long, you know, the Mac guy. And it was weird because when I saw him on screen, I'm like, oh, God, he's the fucking love interest. This guy fucking sucks. But I have to admit, he surprised me. His acting, he played a really good um, straight man character. He wasn't too crazy, but, you know, anybody could have played his role. It was a little bit vanilla and he didn't really add any personality traits that, you know, could be distinguishable from any other guy playing the role. Um, the leading lady, Alison Lohman, uh, was really good. She played the tortured uh, Christine character very well. The gypsy woman put a curse on, on the girl, and the girl pretty much had three days to get rid of the curse, or she would be dragged to hell. At the end of the day, the, I'll, I'll say this. There were a lot of, you know, little jumpy moments. The overall execution of the movie was good, but I always have this big uh, negativeness about PG-13 movies. If a movie's meant to be a a horror movie or, you know, a slasher flick, the PG-13 rating just is not what you need to go with. You need to go with the R rating just because you need a little bit more shock value, even a little bit of gore. The uh, Blu-ray that I picked up for Drag Me to Hell came with the unrated and theatrical versions. And the unrated version, you know, had there was a little bit of, there's a part where she gets a nosebleed, which I believe in the theatrical version was very, was very limited in terms of how you saw it. But in the unrated version, there was like blood spurting everywhere and crazy shit. Um, what happened was towards the end of the movie, it started getting a little silly. I definitely am going to, when I post a review on MyTakeRadio.com, I'm going to actually post a, a video of a scene in the movie that involves a goat that got possessed by the demon that was uh, stalking her called the Lamia. And the scene with the goat was supposed to be kind of frightening, and I ended up bursting into laughter when I saw it because it was so far-fetched and so fucking stupid. But the overall movie... You know, the presentation on Blu-ray, sound quality was fantastic. Picture quality was great, um, which is, you know, the standard for Blu-rays. But sometimes, you know, a little shitty ones sneak in. But in terms of the movie, I actually have it listed on eBay because while the movie was decent, it wasn't decent enough to warrant me owning it to watch on a, re- on a regular basis. I honestly would like to say that Drag Me to Hell would be considered a rental and something that you could, should definitely check out for Halloween but not something I'd recommend owning. It's, uh, you know, it was a little bit too evil, you know, leaning towards Evil Dead, but not as scary. So definitely I'd give a pass to Drag Me to Hell, and I'd recommend it as a rental or something that you can just watch with a couple of friends for a few laughs on Halloween. So Drag Me to Hell is not a must-buy. It is a rent. And my second review was for the Transformers uh, Big Screen Edition, And this is going to lead into a rant, of course, because one of the things that ended up happening was Transformers, of course, came out on Tuesday, 
I took my lunch break. I go to Target. I buy Transformers, and I come back to work. I get a call. A friend of mine says to me, he's like, oh, you picked up Transformers. I'm like, yeah. He says, which version? I'm like, what do you mean, which version? And it seems that Walmart got an exclusive version, which is the big screen edition, that actually has uh, um, all the IMAX footage in the movie. And I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, I hey, it's IMAX footage. Then I thought about it, and the IMAX footage is supposed to be the best footage out there. So, of course, in a fit of annoyance, I go and have to pick up the big screen edition. Now, of course, you can pick up the big screen edition, I think, until Sunday for 19.95 at Walmart. So, you know, you save 5 bucks versus the 25 bucks that Best Buy and Target are charging. But the fact that there were two versions of the movie – and nobody fucking knew about it. Like, it was something that was like a secret that, that you have to stumble upon is really fucking annoying because it's like if you don't look for it and you have a really great TV, you're going to miss out on some great footage. So I picked it up. I wanted to see what all the hype is about. I watched the movie. And I got to tell you, the big screen edition is the must-own. You have to own that edition. has fantastic sound quality. The IMAX scenes are the uh, battle with Optimus Prime and the Decepticons in the forest, as well as some of the desert battle towards the end of the movie. It, um, you can tell when it switches because the IMAX footage isn't in typical uh, widescreen format with the black bars. It actually does fill the screen in mo on most televisions, depending what kind of TV you have. It was, it's definitely the scene that you ha it's definitely the movie that you have to own in that format and in that style to appreciate. Not to take anything away from the regular Blu-ray versions, but the IMAX footage definitely made the movie five times more enjoyable. Not from a storyline standpoint, because I can sit here for an hour and tell you how, how many plot holes were in that story or how fucking stupid Megan Fox's character was. I can sit here and bullshit about that for another hour. But... In terms of the overall presentation, I'm talking about picture quality and sound quality. The Transformers big screen edition is the edition you've got to pick up. So if you haven't picked it up and you want to have a DVD to show off your – a Blu-ray to show off your TV, definitely hit that shit up just because, like I said, it's fantastic. Top to bottom, I definitely got to give that a must-buy. Um, Star Trek was shot in IMAX, so I have a feeling that the Star Trek movie – hopefully they won't pull the same shit – or at least if they are, they're going to make it that at least you know about it. I shouldn't have to find out about that shit through a third party. And then, you know, it starts creeping around in the forums and you find out about it. So definitely a must-buy for Transformers. Star Trek is going to be badass when it comes out in IMAX. And um, I actually put out uh, a question of the week last week for the letter bag, and it seems that I did not get the amount of responses I had liked. Uh, one of the things that I try to stress, and it's not even because I'd like you guys to write in, is the fact that I put out the question of the week. I record the show on Thursdays. Uh, one of the regular callers, Cass, asked me if, uh, you know, how long you have until you can answer the question. The question of the week, any answers that you want to email in can be emailed in all the way until I'm doing the show, until I get to the letter bag. When I get to the letter bag, if your letter's not in there, you are asked out. So that's number one. Number two, you know, I, um, 
I, I want to help help you guys out and reward you guys, but you know, if you guys don't answer the fucking questions, then you kind of leave me here with my balls in my hand. So unfortunately, it ended up that uh, Strider answered the question of the week for this week, and my question was, you know, what are your thoughts on digital distribution, and do you see it as a as the you know the wave of the future? And Strider actually responded. And he said that he thinks digital distribution is great and a convenient way of obtaining your desired media entertainment. He also states that there are a few drawbacks. Music and movies aren't an issue since they're priced relatively cheap and easy as hell to access. The games, though, are something else entirely. Without some sort of a tangible format, games lose their value. You don't really own the product. Rather, you're just licensed to use it. You can't sell it or let your friends borrow it. So basically, it restricts the consumer's freedom of using the product, which they paid their hard-earned money for however they wish. Digital distribution is the wave of the future. Unfortunately, it's an innovation that benefits most of the people who participate in the music, gaming, or movie industry and not the customer. We're only allowed to experience a piece of that entertainment and not claim it. Very well put, Strider. Very well put. I think that one of the things that is a gift and a curse about digital distribution is something that I'm seeing in the chats also. And that's the fact that, you know, you don't have to worry about losing the item, the item getting damaged, but on the same token, you can't sell the item when you're done with it. You can't trade it in because it's all digitally, it's all digitally based stuff. And that in the end, you know, poses a bit of a problem because one of those things that bugs me is the fact that, you know, you can't, lend a friend a uh, an Xbox Live game. They have to buy it. Not that it's one of those things where they should, you know, where they should buy it, but it's one of those things where it, it adds to the the uh, word of mouth in terms of moving game sales along. Because if you got a niche game that's really good that one or two people have and you kind of go out there and lend it to a friend who lends it to a friend, before you know it, the game starts being purchased and it starts driving up sales and it helps you know, the developers that are making the game and also, you know, it shows the people that you care about their product. Digital distribution becomes a thing where it becomes a numbers game and it's just about moving units as a whole. And that's, like I said, it's a gift and a curse. I think that the overall concept of digital distribution is going to be the wave of the future. Uh, Mudkips mentioned Hulu and the popularity of it. And it is true and also the inclusion of Netflix and almost all the hardware you're buying, it's because at the end of the day, the tangible media definitely will not be as prevalent as it used to be. You know, every blue, the majority of every Blu-ray player you buy has Netflix on it. Uh, Windows 7, if you purchased it, it has media center capability and it also has the Netflix-capable update that's included. Um, the standalone Roku box that's put out by Netflix to stream movies. I definitely feel that all these companies are pushing that digital distribution forward. And at the end of the day, it does save money. I mean, a company like Netflix, they save money on discs, they save money on postage, they save money on envelopes and overhead. I mean, but on the same token, you know, people end up not having jobs because of it. So like I said, I personally have a mixed opinion on digital distribution, and I really would like to see it move into the forefront. As for a question for next week, you know what, I'm not going to do one because I have no fucking idea what the question of the week is. But I figured 
with some time left, I'll do a little house cleaning. Uh, the art contest will officially start with My Take Radio episode 20. Um, I'll give you a little insight. Uh, it, there, there's going to be two portions to the contest, one banner and one logo. Um, first prize is probably going to be a game or a gift card. Uh, denomination depends on you know how things look. Uh, contests will be going on probably for at least the month of November and possibly into the middle of December. I'd like to have uh, the prize out to whoever wins before the holidays. Uh, like I said, My Take Radio episode 20 will be the start of the art contest. Uh, the rules are going to be posted on MyTakeRadio.com at least a week before, so you can definitely check that out. Um, I noticed that Kevin from VGN as well as Don Anderson were in the chat this week. Um, I would like to try and see if either of those shows would be willing to submit some 30-second spots that I can include in the broadcast just to do a uh, quote-unquote commercial break because guess what? My fucking voice gets tired talking for two and a half hours, so I would definitely like to help promote some of their work. Uh, Don Anderson has Tumbling with Tumbleweed on Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Uh, Kevin has VGN Radio, Midwest Wasteland, uh, Medispective, uh, Obcast, uh, the Don and Don Show, and 8-Bit Memories with Karate Dog. So he is a very busy man. Uh, in terms of broadcasting schedules, I know that Cleveland Sports Radio is on Sunday, as is VGN, and I believe Midwest Wasteland is also on Sunday. But um, I will be doing a guest spot on Cleveland Sports Radio this Sunday. We will be talking about UFC 104, which is Saturday, which I did not cover, and I apologize. But um, if you want any further information on UFC 104, definitely go to UFC.com to check that out. Uh, to check out any of Kevin and Don's shows, you can check on Block Talk Radio for Tumbling with Tumbleweed. And uh, most of the VGN shows, you can go to VGNRadio.com, and you can also find them on iTunes. So if those two guys are listening, I would like to get, a, get with both of you to do a little 30-second spot for each of your respective shows or for all of your respective shows. Um, also, a little shout-out to Heartless from Eriscloathing.com. Uh, he actually is an uh, entrepreneur putting out his own brand of clothing. Uh, there's a lot of great shirts that he has out there, some that are uh, very geek-friendly and some that just have really awesome designs. Check him out on Eriscloathing.com. That's A-E-R-E-S clothing.com. Um, if he could get together a little 30-second spot, I would throw that on also to try and help him out. Uh, a couple of other shout-outs, of course, VGNRadio.com, Cleveland Sports Radio, iPirate Radio, uh, Karate Dog's 8-Bit Memories, which I advise a lot of you uh, that are listeners to check out. He does a lot of reviews on 8-Bit games, and they are just as insightful and vicious as my show, so definitely check him out. Uh, Kevin, Don, those guys are... You know, if you like what I do, you'll love what they do. You can find them on iTunes and, like I said, on Blog Talk Radio. I uh, want to thank the crew at 411 Mania for putting out great wrestling, MMA, and video game news. Uh, oh, yeah, and FilmDrunk.com for great movie news that they put out. And I think, folks, that that's going to wrap up this week's broadcast. If you want to email me, mtrhost at gmail.com is the way to go for that. 
Once again, you can email me mtrhost at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, the host, which is me, is Akuma25. You can also follow the My Take Radio show Twitter feed at twitter.com slash mytakeradio. If you're on Facebook, check out the My Take Radio Facebook fan page. I post shit on there quite often, and I think we've just broken, I think, the 40 fan mark. So if you're on Facebook, look us up. Become a fan. Show your support. I'm also on MySpace. If you want to play some games on Xbox Live, PlayStation 3, Akuma 25 is the screen name that I use on both services. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. I want to thank everybody that called in tonight, everybody that supports the show. You guys fucking rock. Next week, episode 17, we're three shows away from 20. Let's make this shit happen, folks. Thanks for your support. I'm out. Peace.